developers, 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 developers. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM. Thanks for joining us today. We're on episode number 61. I'm your host, Bianca. With me is the co-host and loyal minion, Brian. Meh. Our uh, lovely bird mascot, Joey. And our special guest, who just flew in all the way to Las Vegas. And boy, are his arms tired, Chris oh, Olsen. You didn't. That's right. My gosh. Yep. Uh, I'll be here all the week. Make sure to tip your waiters and waitresses. Uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, thank you. Great to be out again. Oh, so good to have you on again. Giggity. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Ladies Very and nice. gentlemen, yes. you're really going to have to be aware of Bianca tonight. For some reason, she's in ex- an exceptionally good mood. That's that's good. That's that's good news always. And uh, I I know people who make announcements like Quagmire, but I am not one of them. So <laughs> no no worries there. Okay. But. Uh, Long before that Ring. show came out, there there were a couple where I, I'm sure they pulled that right out of someone's, you know, absolute, you know, day-to-day experience. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, you bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, super cool. Uh, you've been well, Chris, I hope. Yes, yes, I have been well. Just passed my, uh, my one-year mark with a company that's kind of uh, – in the kind of the world of unions and is starting anew that's kind of considered a probationary period so mm. a little bit of a collective weight off my shoulders there to have kind of the first year in the books and uh went by pretty fast and yeah um that's going well family's good it's uh, i'm doing well how about you guys oh very glad to hear yeah we're doing terrific as well yep we are we're hopped up on caffeine. Our heads are full of Japanese children books as we fumble our way through uh, at least phonetically working our way through these books, if not understanding the content. We uh, practiced our Japanese mm-hmm. in a little coffee shop today with two children's books, yeah. one about umbrellas and one about chopsticks. Yeah. I forget what the rest of the title is, but it was a story oh, about... Something kun. I don't remember the... Ame-ame-kun. Oh, okay. That was, oh. that was the one about umbrellas? Yeah, it was about a mouse with an umbrella who went around asking these different animals if they where their umbrella was, and they kept telling him, and they said they didn't need an umbrella. Yes. Huh. And eventually, it was riveting. Yeah, they get to he gets to the end, finds a mouse with who needs an umbrella, and he holds it over her head. Sweet little story. Yes. And well, there you go. Yeah. Well, that's that's what the pictures told us. For all we know, it was like a Wes Craven horror narrative. <laughs> so the pictures didn't seem to suggest otherwise. A really dark, twisty yeah. children's story. You never know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Come here, you stupid bird. Sorry, my our bird is. Trying to type her own notes into my... Oh, no worries. We have no, mechanical keyboards, and she's walking on them, and she just consumed an apple. Oh. Yeah. A nice, juicy apple we are now learning. <laughs> anyway. Yes. um, Dear, why don't you explain uh, what blue unicorn is? Oh, blue unicorn. Oh, That's... crud. You you explain, and I will uh, mop this apple stain. Oh, okay, so... Yeah. A couple of years ago, we were buying strictly just uh, red, uh, blue, uh, red Bull Light because that was our preferred energy drink. Um, I couldn't find it, and I was at Walmart looking 
hoping it was on sale and it wasn't. And this other stuff was on sale and it happened to be sugar free. I'm, I'm like, I looked at it. I'm like, eh, it's all the same stuff to me. Might as well take it. What's the worst that can happen? Well, nothing bad happened. It was good. It was exactly. just cheaper. It was just different off, and it was off brand name. That's right. So, but because it was a, a Red Bull knockoff, we call it. We call it Green Horse. <laughs> and so today we have Monster, which is actually not, which is one of the alternatives to Red Bull, and I think a bit, and I think tasted a little better. And so this one happens to be in a blue can. And Brian call, decided that we are going to call this Blue Unicorn. Also known as? Green Horse. No, Blue Unicorn. Blue Unicorn. That sounds good to me. I, I don't know. We, we, are, we are naming our various beverages after, like, quadrupedic uh, land mammals. There you go. It's licking my can. Why is this bird licking my can? I don't know. <laughs> whenever, whenever little Joey here sees her reflection, I guess she thinks to herself, look, it's a bird. Let's lick it. Oh, well. That's yeah. birds for you, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got we've got a fun show today. Today, our topic is going to be video game documentaries. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, a, a topic suggested to us by Chris, and a really good one because I've Bianca hasn't really watched many or any, although you've watched over my shoulder as I got. All the way through the uh, double fine, yep. Thank With you, double fine adventure. Off of my keyboard. Yes, he's typing on yours. And, and I've watched a few, and Chris has watched a few. Um, before we get to our topic, we had some uh, pre-show stuff and a letter from uh, one of our Beast. dear listeners. Yes, Stop Father Beast. Stop scrolling my notes. And we get to listen to Bianca berating our bird occasionally, frequently, incessantly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> First of all, it was just kind of a cool newsy thing that I read that I thought was a cool idea. This is that Microsoft in their upcoming Windows 10 anniversary patch, which is coming, I think they said in June. I mentioned this last I week. Oh, it's anniversary. Wouldn't it be July? Or was it the beginning of July last year that it was released? Oh, it was released. I think it was in May or something. It was supposed to come a month earlier, but it's uh, but they delayed it a month. Mm. So anyway, the, the feature that they added that I thought was really cool is that they're going to add QR codes to the blue screen of death. So whenever your computer crashes, however frequently that may be, um, there's a QR code. So you can take a picture of it with your phone, and it will take you to the corresponding uh, instructions that tell you what that error code means. I thought that was a really neat idea. That's amazing. Can I jump in real quick? Of course. I promise this won't be a long one. And I, I can't remember. I've told this story so many times. I might have mentioned it. But that's really incredible because one of my good friends is uh, was a former Microsoft employee hmm. and actually wrote version one of that error code software. It's called uh, the data that's collected. It's got a fun, real funny name. It's called a mini dump. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> he was the like the project leader, the lead programmer on, I don't know when it appeared. Was it Windows 95 maybe or 98? In, yeah, I think so. In, in any case, it was. Place, I think I saw um, it then. <laughs> yeah, it, it was designed for large-scale enterprise stuff. So a, a company like Boeing might have, you know, ten thousand Windows PCs, and they run into a problem. The thought was it could just in, you know, let's circa, you know, what ninety-five, ninety-six, nineteen ninety-six, you know, in real time, you know, over probably, gosh, an ISDN line at that point, um, you know, ten thousand of these error reports come in. And Microsoft can go, oh, yeah, Boeing, here you go. Here's here's the problem. We'll fix it. And it could be applied like a hot fix and it'd be back up and running and the assembly line keeps going or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it uh, so that was the kind of original intent of that, as as far as uh, as as I know. It was for Microsoft uh, to to parse it and to do something with it. You mean? Yeah. So that if if there was uh, you know this this notion of a large company or a large installation of computers maybe all running into the same problem or similar problems that they could be kind of dynamically fixed. So at some point they had the idea and said, okay, that's great. But you know, can we roll this out to the to the end user to just a single consumer too? Oh. And there were there were privacy concerns even back then. Um, so this notion of we need to give people the choice, you know, send or don't send. So it's funny. So that rolled out, and um, you know, it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, to this day, I still click no, and it's it's made its way, migrated its way into OS or Mac OS, and uh, and I would I don't know if there's something like that in in uh, in any of the various other operating systems, but it's just amazing. It's come so far from a you know from a saving a small file that you couldn't even access that would maybe get sent to Microsoft if you clicked OK. Now to QR codes. I'm going to have to tell my friend. I, I wonder uh, he's he's long. Uh, Long retired from Microsoft, lucky guy. Four years older than I am, and he was there at a at a very good time. So hmm. he has kind of a um, a job away from Microsoft now. But uh, that's really interesting. That's great. I can't wait to tell him. I wonder if he's been following that, or he might not even know. But wow, that's. Uh, I wonder how that's going to work. Um, I guess if you encounter an error and you do that, I'm I'm sure that will get more people to to actually utilize that because it, it just immediately seems less intrusive. Uh, you know, to just scan a QR code rather than you know, there was always a little bit of uh, what am I really sending? You know, am I sending the you know the plans to the Death Star? You know, is, <laughs> is it going to end up in the wrong hands? Anything like that? There's always a little bit of fear, even. I mean, you know, oh sure, that's a really but, great yeah. point. Actually, I hadn't even considered the privacy aspect of it because you're absolutely right that instead of sending the mini dump or some subset of it to Microsoft for analysis, which I think you're always given the option or can opt out or whatever, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to be able to have the opportunity to troubleshoot it yourself. I believe the tech, the uh, logic behind it is going to be that every blue screen of death includes some kind of not a unique identifier, but like a problem mm -hmm. code or something, okay. which corresponds to like something you're supposed to look up to find out exactly what the problem is. Gotcha. So I think it basically just does the search for you if you nice. take that picture. Well, that's good. I uh, that sounds like a great feature. Um, it'll be kind of like I said. It'll be interesting to see what the what the world at large kind of thinks of it, or how it works in in actual uh, mm. practice or implementation. But that's that's neat. It should be. I don't. I don't. I don't really encounter a lot of blue screens. Uh, the only time I think I ever have is when my power supply was giving me grief. Um, oh sure. Yeah. Um. You Although think? I agree with the use of a QR code, I don't think that the, the people who need it most are going to take advantage of it. Who do you think mm. needs it most? People who don't know, who are unfamiliar with their computer in the first place, and that's people who really need to scan the QR codes. Or somebody's familiar will uh, know what their computer is supposed to do, what's not supposed to do. And they'll, they'll probably be savvy enough to use the QR code in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess the yeah, people who uh, encounter true. more blue screens are probably less tech savvy to begin with. <laughs> or if they do encounter, or if the, if the tech savvy people do encounter blue screens, they the first thing they'll do is make sure that there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing someone like my dad encountering one of those and not scanning the QR code, and instead calling me, telling me, "Oh, I got this error message." <laughs> yeah, I think you kind of have to have some level of technical wherewithal just to know what to do with the QR code in the first place, perhaps. So, it's just a—I don't know—it's just a convenience, probably, if only for the people who already knew what to do. And at any rate, mm -hmm. it just gets them where they were going to go anyway a little bit faster. True, but 
wouldn't uh, be intuitive enough to recognize that it was a power supply uh, issue. No, I doubt it. Windows, Windows, well, yeah, power supply in particular is a really hard one to troubleshoot because it kind of manifests all kinds of other technological yeah, weirdness. So it's a tough one to nail down. Uh, so the operating system probably has less of a clue than the end user mm -hmm. of what might be symptomatic. But at any rate, I just kind of thought that was an interesting little tidbit. There's a bunch of new features that are coming in with uh, Windows Anniversary. Did we mention last week that uh, their user experience team was giving out, was like conducting surveys with like A-B testing to try to, like, to ask which of these two variants of the UI do you like better? No, but that's kind of neat. And to actually expand on something Chris said earlier, because mm -hmm. he mentioned that there was that sending a report to Microsoft has your own discretion. Android, if you are if you have an app on Android that crashes suddenly or it's not responsive, mm -hmm. it's a, it gives you the option to report it or just uh, shut down your app after it's not responding. Oh, yes, it does. And I have no idea what it means to report a crash. It doesn't say what it's sending. It doesn't say who it's sending it to, whether it's to Google or to the the developer of the app. It's the most useless feature. I don't know what on earth happens when you say, yes, I want to report this. It's very badly communicated. It, there's big room for improvement there. It's been that way since the early days of Android, as long as we've been using it. Yep. Although there is one instance where I do remember, don't bite that, please don't bite my mole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, with Blizzard, actually. When, when it would crash after... In either a beta or just after something was released, you would get an option to enter in exactly what happened. I mm -hmm. actually got a response back once. Really? Asking for more details. Oh, isn't that nice? I know Firefox does that too. When it crashes, it, they ask you, is it okay for us to, to uh, include which page you were looking at when it crashed, yes or no? And then you can write a description. Like, can you please tell us what you were doing before this crash occurred? I think that's fairly common. And no, Maybe not fairly common, but I've seen it before. It's a nice... It's nice to have the option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. Agreed. And for the record, usually when software gives me the option of whether I want to upload, you know, they call it anonymized uh, usage statistics or whatever, I usually opt into that just because I figure it helps them make better software. If I'm using their software and I care about how good it is, mm -hmm. I try to help them make it better. Indeed, yeah. Me, me too, for sure. I've certainly been on the other end of that where um, I don't know how... I, I, it's probably buried in the in the end, you, you know, in the EULA. But I know on the Apple side of things, um, you know, we get stack traces and uh, crash reports. I think I, I, there there has to be a way for the user to opt out of it. But um, it's just kind of a difference in in design schema where um, you know Apple. Okay, it's obviously it's a closed system. We don't need to, to rehash and debate that. Yeah. I certainly there are a lot of things I disagree with there, but the experience of the uh, you know the iOS on the iPhone and the iPad was always supposed to be all right. Basically, you can't you can't cause a kernel panic or something, or you know you can't. But it's really really difficult. If an app crashes, it's going to what they call fail gracefully and just fail back to the home screen, mm -hmm. uh, and it's not going to lock up your phone or anything. And the big reason is, of course, you can't pull the battery without, you know, some serious, so it, it, you've got what you've got. It's, you know, there's no, um, you know, taking the case off or, or, you know, getting into the guts of it. So they kind of had to insulate it that way. But um, anytime an app crashes like that, it will, um, it will get sent back to the developers so that it can be kind of searched out. And, um, you know, if it happens a lot, 
then you know clearly you, 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 there's a you know of course a way for the user to leave feedback or something like that. But it is actually um, it, it, it's pretty it's pretty dynamic. It, it's nice how they do it. To uh, I had a, a memory leak thing that I just could not figure out, and it was on an ancient ancient. It was like the absolute oldest supported version on an old phone and for some reason there was some you know change where in like os3 you know the memory was was you know handled this way and then uh it was just like one one little thing it got missed but it would just leak memory like crazy and i could not figure it out and finally after drilling down i figured out for the for the one person in the world out there still using that ancient you know os okay it got fixed but uh Mm -hmm. but yeah that's uh that's interesting that um that's uh you know on the one hand it sounds sounds good but maybe uh the android part of it needs to maybe be a little more robust you need people need to know what they're sending right i mean you don't want to you know are you sending you know an entire catalog of everything that's on your phone it's if i think most people would opt in if they said you know this is all de-identified and you know this is you know something useful for the developer but if if you don't share that with folks they're they're much less likely to say, yeah, sure, let's figure it out. So, Yeah, you're absolutely so, yeah. right. It's like user experience 101. If you want to incentivize yeah. people to kind of go out of their way to do something, you have to tell them why it's in their best interest. Yeah. Indeed. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't agree more. And to take it back again to uh, the uh, mini dump from the blue screen of death, I think there have been some instances where I don't know if whether it's an actual instance of this happening or if it was just people's suspicions that in memory there might be some like unencrypted private data like a password or keystrokes or mm-hmm. whatever that gets sent to who knows who. Sure. So sure. In, in Windows 10, there were, I think, three or four actually different uh, levels of error reporting that you can opt into. And uh, it asks you that when you install the OS about what degree of information you're comfortable sharing and whether oh, it's good. anonymized. Right on. Good good for them. And again, thumbs up for the A-B testing as well. That's mm-hmm. that's yep. all very, very good. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. That's fun. Yeah. All right. The next thing I wanted to announce is that it sounds like at long last, I think this is like six months in the making or so, Google Play Music will be adding podcast support to their uh, directory of uh, streaming media. So that's kind of nice. So uh, Square Waves FM will be on there. Upper Memory Block podcasts uh, from Joe Mastriani will be on there. Mm-hmm. I don't know who else. I don't know whether anyone really cares. I don't know how popular Google Play Music is versus its competitors like Apple Music and Spotify. It's the streaming service of choice for us from a price standpoint, but mostly from the functionality standpoint. I like their client and their selection the best. True. And the best price. I mean, how many members of our family do we have on there right now? Five? And there's still one slot remaining? Yeah, you can have six people for $15, which is nice. I think it was Apple Music that actually uh, made that first push and kind of forced the rest of the industry to follow suit. So Spotify, I think, is the last one, the last major player that hasn't done that yet, and they plan to. So I appreciate the competition. That's for darn sure. I just definitely wonder how much uh, musicians are getting paid considering (laughs) that's like $2 and 50 cents a person or something for a month of (laughs) every album in the world. True. But how many uh, listeners are there in the world? It's true. Yeah. Well, there's plenty. It's, Mm -hmm. it's something that's beneficial for the most famous musicians, but uh, the little guys who might get like 30 plays a month or something, they they like couldn't uh, play it. They couldn't pop a quarter into a an arcade game with the royalties they get from that, basically. Mm-hmm. So, whatever. So that'll be yet another place, at least for uh, people to check out the podcast. Personally, even though I do very much like the Google Play Music Player, 
unless all the podcasts I listen to are on there, I already have a pretty good podcast app. So I don't want to listen to some podcasts with one app and others on another. It doesn't really make sense. Yeah, that's that's my suspicion as well. Everyone kind of seems like they have their either their favorite means or, or an app or something to. Uh, so I guess if you've got someone who is new to podcasts um, or maybe um, depending on how big it is or anything like that. I mean, if it's, if it's one of these enormously famous podcasts, well, you know what you would think one of something like that would want to be on as many sources as possible. So maybe give it a couple months, maybe there will be a, a kind of a, a widespread, you know, adaptation or people will, will do it. Uh, if it's, if it's not a very difficult thing to sign up for, I would think most every podcaster would want more people to, you know, just give a, another way to do it. But as far as, Folks actually, you know, converting over. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I still, I actually, I probably need to search out a good podcast app because I just, you just generally download it or, or stream it. Um, and uh, actually, the native podcast app on the on the on the iPhone is is pretty decent. So I just, it just goes all to there. I, I didn't even have to, to search out a third party one. I can't remember when Apple started including one, but, uh, hmm. uh, you know, but it just, you know, it's, it does the job. Certainly there's, there's probably some room for improvement. I, I probably should, uh, maybe take a look at that, but yeah, it would be tough to, to switch over cause I've got, you know, six or seven podcasts in there and, you know, it knows which ones have been listened to, which ones haven't and so on and so forth. So I would be reluctant to, to switch over. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I hear that. I'm using what app am I using? I don't remember what it's called. Podcast. Well, on that, it's actually I think having mm. it on more than one source is good because then, you know, if uh, one site goes down for any reason, it's still accessible for uh, the uh, for all, for our listeners. That's true. That's yeah, we want to make it as easy as possible. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm using an app called. Go ahead. Yeah. For redundancy, I definitely think it's a good idea, and I can understand, but at the same time, I understand why picking one and sticking to it makes sense. I mean, if you play all your music on one player, but you have, like, one album that you want to listen to, but it doesn't have the compatible format, it seems like you're not going to want to listen to it. You're going to hope instead that it plays on your player and that you got the codec for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I, I have a, just a, a precious few albums that are flack uh, file types. Yeah, me too. And, and I, I do have to bounce back and forth, but I, I probably would listen to those, you know, like the soundtrack to sunshine is one of that great soundtrack, but they're flat files, which I really appreciate, but yeah, I probably, it doesn't get listened to as much because it's in a separate app, separate yeah. kind of, you know, and I, sometimes I even forget it's on there. I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a flack album. But, uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you there for sure. Doesn't uh, Apple have their own lossless audio codec that works in iTunes? They do. I am I, I, iTunes, especially in the in the Windows realm, is such a and honestly in the Mac realm too. I am not uh, not a fan. It the the fact that the front end is used a lot for development, the way that the portal to app stuff, it's kind of uh, it's tolerable. But boy, it just um, yeah. I they, they would they would do well to just scrap it. And start over and just try to you know, do a complete uh, redesign of that. So I, I try to avoid it. They do. You're right. They they do have a lossless one, but uh, mm. I've kind of have stuff piecemealed together that's you know been on. So yeah, it's all probably fairly low quality and and certainly not uh, you know okay for me. But if I were gonna you know yeah, it's but yeah, they do. You're right. But uh, I mm-hmm. do have some kind of fragmentation. It's kind of my fault. I could just sit down and hammer through it and get everything to 
to one, but I, I kind of feel like if I do that, like actually that same friend from Microsoft, he just convert, he converted all of his music over to be able to be uh, a whatever format WMV or whatever. So, cause of course, you know, he got a really good deal on a zoom mm-hmm. and it like, a few months after that, the Zoom, I don't know if they announced they were going to stop supporting it or if kind of the end was announced. And he was just like, I just converted all this music. I'm going to hang on to this device and use it till I can't anymore. It's like, I can't. It was a her- you know, Herculean effort. He had tons of songs. And so I kind of feel like if I do that, it's going to be, you know, the end of whatever format I choose, but which True. is ridiculous. It's not, you know, I know that's not going to happen, but that fear is built in there. So I kind of feel like, all right, this you know, crazy system of some things in some formats, some others, it's, I don't have a ton of music either. So it is what it is, but yeah. Oh, that's fair. I, I always, I always wanted a Zune. I, um, I wanted you bought one, you returned it. No, I didn't buy a Zune. Yes, you did. You bought it and you returned it because it wasn't to your satisfaction. No, I bought other MP3 players, never a Zune. The one that I used the most was one by Creative, which just played MP3 files and it was like a little are you sure square thing. I'm, I'm positive because the zooms were returning at least two of them before you settled on an mp3 player yeah no it wasn't a zoom the zoom was like a very high uh, capacity storage device like an ipod and they were quite expensive they were hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. i wasn't prepared to spend that much i think my most expensive mp3 player was maybe 80 or 90 bucks um i wanted the zoom because the software was really nice in Windows. Like there was actually, it used Windows Media Player, which I've always been a big fan of actually, because it does such a good job of, it's like it's like iTunes in a lot of ways, but it's just nice and lean and it's so good, good at um, editing and adding and sorting by metadata. Mm-hmm. I used to just um, manage my music by file name and slowly but surely I started um, adding metadata like, year and I made my own genres and I made sure that the song names were clean and the the album titles and the artists were all spelled correctly and all that. Mm-hmm. So not only did the Zoom support Windows Media Player, which continues to be good to this day, um, it also had its own software, which was just called Zoom. Oh, there's more Apple leavings for you. Here you go. Where did it go? <laughs> right here. It, uh, so it had its own Zune software, which was kind of a little iTunes-esque, but it was really pretty and really smooth. But most of all, it was very usable. And it used maybe 100 megs of RAM or something, whereas iTunes on Windows, at least, I think it uses like that tenfold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, it's outrageous. It's it, bloaty. It's just a resource hog in, in every way. My, my biggest beef with iTunes is that, you know, I have a side job where I fix people's computers. And no matter who I visit, no matter where I go, they always have an iTunes update waiting. And they have these terrible, old, slow-ass computers, and it takes an eternity to update them, which is why they never do update iTunes. But for some reason, iTunes always has, like, one patch to go wherever I go. Yep. And it's always the one software that nobody knows how to use, but somehow it puts you to know how to use it. Oh, that's true. That's true. It doesn't conform to the Windows design principles, so it's kind of alien on Windows. I know people who love it. I know people who hate it. But me, I like something simple. My music needs just aren't that complex. As much music as I have and as much as I love music, I don't need to do that much with it besides listen to it and make sure that it's categorized. Yeah, and that, for that we use, um, what do we have? Oh, yeah, well, MP3 tag for checking our for metadata. Tagging. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And it actually, that is it's really nice. It lets us directly add the album art we want associated with the uh, MP3 that we have selected. Oh, yeah. MP3 tag lets you actually embed multiple 
images into one mm-hmm. MP3 file, which is a great way to make your MP3 files really humongous. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to do that, but for serious audio files, you can put liner notes and stuff right into every file, which is really, really neat. Mm-hmm. That is. That's great. Nowadays, though, I just uploaded all my music to Google Play Music, which you can do for free for 50,000 songs and stream it for free anywhere. Yeah. So wow. I, I listen That's... to my music at work, and it's amazing. I love it. There you go. Yep, me too. Like, all I need is is a pause, stop, and a play button. Or maybe, yeah. like, a next song button, but that's about it. I don't need anything fancy. That's mm. why I use um, FUBAR 2000. Yeah, oh, that's I love FUBAR 2000. That is, that's for sure the best Windows player, the most configurable. And if you're a big hacky nerd, there's so much hacking you can do with it to make it look however you want. It's great. Yeah, mine's all... Uh, but it's Windows only. Mm-hmm. Mine's all configured to look exactly like I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine looks very different from yours. It's cool how the two of us do things differently. All right, so um, before we get to our letter, one last little thing that I wanted to mention was that we got an Amazon order delivered to us that I think we forgot about because it took like six weeks to come to us from China or Singapore or something. Yeah. It's an extremely inexpensive wireless phone charger. We got a couple of them. They're usually like $50 or so if you buy them direct from Google for compatible phones. I think these were $7, including tax and shipping. And it's awesome. It's just a little USB kind of a pad sort of a thing. You put it on your desk. You stick your phone on top of it as long as you have a compatible phone that takes wireless charging. And it charges really fast. It's awesome. It's way better than I thought it was going to be. So I ordered two of them because they were cheap, but we didn't know if they were going to work right. Um, I was kind of hoping that uh, I I gave uh, Bianca like first rate of refusal. I figured if she didn't like it, then uh, I'll take the other one to work. But unfortunately for me, she likes it. Uh Yes. What are you caring about, dear? Um, so I mentioned on previous podcasts that I, I was alpha testing unavowed with no further details. Oh, the, uh, the new, um, Wedged Eye game. Yeah. Upcoming. Yes. And I'm now beta testing a, a game that I kickstarted. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. Oh, did you, did you apply to be a beta tester or is that yeah. just a perk of, of Kickstarter? Uh, they sent out the, the uh, people doing the game sent out a notice saying, if you want a beta test. We would welcome it, because I mean, not all not all games offer the beta testing. For example, Orion the Orion Trail team didn't have beta testing. Well, they had an early access thing, or they something. they had early access, but not beta testing. Fine line. True, early access just means anyone who has kickstarted it can uh, do it, but beta testing, they only give the link to people who are actually interested. I think the big differentiator in my mind is that. Uh, beta testing is something that you either do for free or you get paid for, whereas early access is you paying them to play it early, warts and all. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they even have a survey attached, so they even ask all the questions that you need to. Oh, and, about the quality of the game, etc.? Mm-hmm. I, I really love yeah, when they and do that. So far, they have 45,000 words out of a future 120,000. That's a long visual novel. Wow, that's like a novel and a half, 120,000 words? Well, it's it's not uh, linear. It's two short Right, path. that's really something. It's, um, and it's, well, I'm happy. We won't, let's see what it's, a, it's Requiescence. Requiescence. Hmm. Well, that's a name that's up its own butt. <laughs> well, why did you say up its own butt? Oh, no, why? What's the subject matter of this Shakespearean delight? <laughs> Shonen I. Oh, so what? Shonen I is what? Oh, that's uh, man love? Uh, that's, it's boy love. is what it's Oh, saying. boy love. <laughs> Pardon me, I gave it too much credit. Yeah, that, <laughs> man love is yaoi. <laughs> oh, okay. Shonen I. 
Okay. Sounds uh, classy. Oh, it is. <laughs> I'm happy. It means I get an early preview, and I think it's just the normal uh, line and not the uh, happy ending line. Uh, good. <laughs> good. Sorry to... Uh... <laughs> and that's that's all we have to say about wireless phone chargers then? <laughs> yeah, I love my wireless phone charger. My phone's actually been charged because it gives me a place to put my phone down, and I don't have to reach down and pick up my cable that's covered in duct tape because Joey decided to chew my phone cable. Oh, I know, there's nothing more horrific than having to reach down to pick something up. That's a good reason to leave your phone uncharged. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and my phone cable was getting chewed and it had duct tape on it. Yes. I thought my days of duct tape were over, but then, you know... Oh, from the cat? Oh, yeah. I had, I had cables wrapped in duct tape. I think all the best pets love chewing your electrical expensive I think this is gadgets. true. Indeed. Yep. That's right. Chris, do you have any pets? I do. Uh, a, a dog that is nearly one year's oh, one year, years, listen to me, like, <laughs> a, like a computer that didn't have the value thing changed. Uh, yeah, he's almost one, and he is a, uh, a golden retriever, and he's, he's a big guy. He's almost, uh, good grief, over 80 pounds. So he's a, a big, ginormous teddy bear. But, uh, but yeah, we had uh, a border collie before that. And actually, she wasn't a bad chewer, but friend of mine in high school, uh, their border collie caught this dog, ate, I think he, he literally ate a, 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 like a, a, a high gauge um, electrical cord, just ate the whole thing and yeah. just gobbled it up. We're like, how did you, how does a dog do this? Luckily he was okay. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so the chewing of the cords, I guess cats are, are more to do that. But yeah, this, uh, our dog, yeah, socks, anything like that. Yeah. He'll just chew it up and swallow it so we really have to be careful but uh yeah if i were to dangle a cord in front of him he'd probably probably paw me and then maybe try to go after it but doesn't have the uh the innate like oh it's an electrical cord i'm gonna, gonna chew it but yeah it wouldn't take much convincing that's for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah this bird chewed phone cables Ooh, this bird likes yeah. chewing the cable to my gamepad yeah I, I just bought this thing for like 60 bucks you're not eating my my that's my toy yeah <laughs> so indeed. we had to spend so we spent 14 dollars on amazon to get her a whole bunch of these uh chewy wooden toys and she's destroyed two so far oh at least she yeah she's she's uh she's like the tasmanian double basically that's okay. We, we love our birdie. Yep. Yeah. I had a, and I probably mentioned told, told this story went on the podcast before, but um, hmm. I had a cat that chewed through a fan cable and blew the fan up. Oof. And almost blew the cat up too, right? Yep. Cat short circuited the fan, chewed through the cable, and <laughs> caused like a puff of smoke and some sparks because oh, it was plugged in, and it was our only fan. When we and when we lived in Ottawa, this oh. is back when I was in high school. So yeah, when I met you, every single one of your electrical uh, cords was covered in duct tape, in, in, yeah, silver tape or duct tape or something. So not being a cat owner, I found that curious. Like you, you're very clumsy vacuumers or something. But then I learned very quickly. I remember I learned very quickly when uh, I had a sleepover at your apartment. We left our pizza out one night, and in the morning. The pizza was open and hairy. <laughs> and on the floor, you, upside down. Yes, that's right. And you had a very satisfied looking cat very nearby. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, why don't we move along then? We have a lovely letter by our one of our favorite listeners, Father Beast. So would, do you want to read it or shall I? Oh, read it. Let me pull up my notes. Yeah, yeah. It. Ram in your way. Okay. Hi, Squares. Father Beast here. 
I was a little disappointed by your episode on cheats since you focused on cheats that were built into the game, like typing Moolah into Master of Orion would give you 100 BC. I don't know what that stands for. I admit that some codes are kind of hilarious, like there is no cow level in StarCraft. But I was more interested in exploiting game glitches where there is obvious cheating. First oh, off. Sorry, one sec. I did mention something in that episode. I mentioned some kind of a cheat infinity engine or something like that. So that was an external cheat program. Anyway, yeah. I digress. Sorry. First off, is Windows 95 or is it 98? This OS had security functions where you could password protect your computer. Unfortunately, you could just press escape where the password screen came up and completely bypass it. That's why I passworded the BIOS, BIOS in those days. Yeah, I remember being able to press enter when I couldn't remember my password. Oh, escape. I believe that was in both Windows 95 and Windows 98. When mm -hmm. it asked you, what it prompted you for username and password, you could press escape and it would just log you on as the default user. It's mm -hmm. amazing to think that that, that, that uh, persisted for so long. Yeah. In Diablo, you could duplicate items. I remember watching this when we... Uh, when we were do, I remember seeing this in. Uh, oh, we game, saw the speed run. Yeah, in game in uh, awesome game done quick. Yes, you're right. I, I mentioned uh, this on an earlier one about multiplayer games. True, too. but then latency, uh, yeah. latency exploit. Yeah, and then they showed, and then somebody actually did it on a uh, run. Yeah, I'd never seen someone do it in single player. I'll see if I can find that. I'll put it in the show notes. It was a like a 15 minute Diablo speed run. It was crazy. <laughs> you can duplicate items. You would drop an item on the ground, and if and if you click on it, you would walk over, pick it up. If you time it just right, you could click on a potion on your belt just as you pick it up. You would, And you would put the item on the ground into your inventory, and the potion from your belt would morph into a second copy of the item you just picked up. Also in Diablo, Adria the Witch would sell random selection of scrolls, books, and staves. You could stand in front of her and reload the game any number of times to find the item you want to buy that you're looking for. Admittedly, that's not much of a cheat as much of a cheat as an exploit yeah when, they use that in the speed run too yeah when playing the browser version of cookie clicker or adventure capitalist you can save and exit the game change your system clock and load it back up to find it has made days months even years worth of production in your absence oh that's right you can do that in animal crossing as well you can change the system date of the ds and then uh, you get tons and tons of money by advancing it like a hundred years. True, but after then putting it in the bank. But then everything dies, and people are shocked that you've come back from the dead. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes there's even new guys in town. That's right. Okay. This doesn't work in Clicker Heroes, though. Hmm. In the first civilization, you would use settlers to improve tiles. Like, give them mines or irrigation. Normally, these improvements would take many turns, sometimes up to ten turns. But if you selected a settler again after it started work and told it to do the same thing again and again and again, you could get any tile completed in just one turn. Hmm. This cheat persisted in all versions of Civ 1, the original Civilization for DOS, Civilization for Windows, and even CivNet, the multiplayer version. I never knew that. That's awesome. There's actually, I think they might have realized this exploit because when you in Civ 5, you can put, when you play as the Romans, the Roman legionary unit actually lets you do tile improvements. And there's an achievement if you use a Roman legionary unit to connect to build one road to connect it to another city. Hmm. Oh, really? So the legionary is like a combat unit that also doubles as a as a worker. Mm-hmm. Neat. Yeah, because they could do tile improvements. Huh. 
In the Elder Scrolls Daggerfall stores had a schedule and would close for the night, and breaking into a store after hours would bring only bring the city would bring the city watch calling. But if you stayed in the store until after close, you could just take everything off the shelves and leave without consequence. Cool. You could even sell stuff you just stole back to the store owner who didn't move from his place, which makes it even more absurd. <laughs> Wow. But since you guys love your built-in cheats so much, my last example involves <laughs> one of those. In The Sims, typing mother load would give you, I think, 1,000 simoleons. Actually, I think it was 50,000. It was uh, 50,000. Oh, it's it was ka-ching. that gave 1,000. Mm-hmm. But if you really want large amounts, it got tedious typing over and over. It had a stacking function where you could put several instances of, instances of mother load over and over, each separated by a semicolon. But you... you but you still had to type them all. Then my daughter discovered this. She typed in 15 mother load commands, each separated by a semicolon, but a regular colon at the end. The game executed all these commands, but stopped when it got the colon, which it didn't recognize, gave an error message, and reprinted the whole command line on in the chat bar. Presumably, it was so that you could inspect it to see that you typed wrong, but the result was that my daughter could then keep pressing, hitting the enter key, getting 15,000 simoleons and an error message for each press. Mm. Well, this has been fun. Maybe you guys or some other squares out there have some more examples. Father Beast. Yay, thanks a lot, Father Beast. We love to hear from you. Those are all really good examples. Yeah. I guess that was probably Sims 1, because I know Sims 2 had two separate ones. One for 1,000, one for, for 50,000. I'm pretty sure... Uh, I can't remember now, actually. It's been too long. I do remember using that like semicolon delimited... Uh, individual line to do lots of different commands because I didn't know about the $50,000 cheat. And so I used the $1,000 cheat over and over and over and over ad nauseum. <laughs> then I got bored of cheating because the the game is to earn all that stuff and if you just get all that stuff, then there's no game left. Exactly. Uh, you're chewing that's a game that's more fun if you enjoy being poor. Yeah, you- I, I agree with that. For sure. Yeah. The one that comes to mind, do you guys remember... Um, I think Star Control Two had it. I think I think make it was present in in both versions, one and two. Certainly mm-hmm. not three. But um, remember the uh, the melee function? You would type. You would actually from the dot prompt. You would type the name of it. So it'd be like sc.exe, and then you would type melee. If you typed it a bunch of times, it was supposed to. I think artificially increase the speed at which the the contest or the head to head thing happened. So it was also kind of a way to to get a quasi-runnable melee match on a slow computer. So I just remember huh. um, being at, at school, and uh, they're like, oh, this is a slow computer. We were after class was out. And uh, it's typing, oh, how many times we type melee? So it was, you know, sc.exe, then melee, 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 a whole bunch of times. And, um, also made for some pretty interesting, uh, you know, almost uncontrollable, you know, super sensitive controls or whatnot, but huh. that's that's what came to my mind with the uh, with the Sims thing. I remember learning the cheat codes for Sims. I did not realize though that you could uh, separate it by semicolons and do that. That probably would have been useful, but um, but yeah, at, at some point, uh, I guess if the goal of the Sims is just, you just want to build the houses and, and do that, then you know, the cheats obviously nail that. But if I think if you're actually trying to play the game. Yeah, that's one where you said it's kind of nice to be a starving artist or, um, you know, really try to work your way up and, and figure it out to where, you know, you could afford whatever it is that you're buying with cheats. It does kind of take the fun out of it. I'll agree with you on that. 
It depends, I guess. It's a, being a sandbox game, there's a million ways to enjoy mm-hmm. that game. So different people, I think, end up playing it for different reasons or the changes over time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I believe with oh before, so <laughs> I lied. Very last thing before we talk about our topic, uh, Chris, what have you had the pleasure of playing in the last little while? So great question. Not a whole bunch, but uh, I did. Uh, I did actually revisit a few of the Infocom classics. I mm. can't remember if it was. I don't know who posted it. Did you? I think it was you actually who mentioned that. Uh, they were serializing a Mind Forever Voyaging, or that someone was working on the screenplay. Oh, right! Uh, I think it's uh, Gary Witta, former editor in chief yeah. of PC Gamer. That is just awesome. That is so, awesome. That that is such. I, I I am obviously you know unabashed in my admiration for that game, but uh, so I, I replayed that, and then um, I actually I remember. It was actually Chris who talked about Ballyhoo and the Feelies. And, yeah. Uh, he was playing that. So I, I loaded that, but for some reason it's corrupted. I, I, I have to either either yeah. re-get it or, or find it somewhere because it just wouldn't work. And it was an odd thing and I didn't have a lot of time to, to mic around with it. So Oh, your disc inst- broke? Yeah. Too bad. Yeah, so in, instead of that, I went for Planetfall, which uh, which I've played through a bunch of times. But that's, that's a pretty good one. I would uh, – I, I, yeah, it's you know all the reasons to to dislike Infocom. I mean, they're present in both those games, but um, but yeah, A Mind Forever Voyaging is great though because it really is so story driven. It's kind of uh, um, it kind of a unique one amongst uh, even amongst you know the the other you know titles by that author and, and whatnot. So, hmm. but that was it. I didn't have a whole lot of time to play, but just in the last week, so just those two and. Uh, um, hoping to to play through Shardlight, but I haven't yet. I'm definitely looking forward to that. But I know I'm going to have to uh, to do that when I have a, a good block of time to devote to it. But, oh sure, uh, certainly looking forward to that one for sure. But uh, so that's it. Very short list for me. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned uh, the floppies of your Infocom games. Does that mean you're playing them on a on a PC? So the yeah, so it's on a, actually on a laptop. But I the, the floppies, I I actually imaged them so they could kind of get taken with, and I think that's actually the problem. I think for some odd reason, the the disk image, if you get if I mount it or just install it, it it, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't install properly. So mm. you know, I'm sure there's some uh, you know some not so uh, you know some gray area I can delve into an abandoned where and whatnot. But I just I just didn't. It was kind of one of those things. I just wanted to boot it up and. And and kind of go through to see if I could get through the first part. So I remember, I remember the first like fifteen minutes of Ballyhoo being kind of tough, a little bit off-putting, and just punishingly difficult. And I, I, I was, and then I thought to myself, Am I remembering the right game? Am I am I thinking of a different Info, Infocom title? But uh, but yeah, so unfortunately, but uh, I, I do still have the floppies at, at home somewhere. So I I could probably you know if those are still okay, it's it's probably. Uh, somewhat doable, but huh. uh, yeah, I'll have to maybe for next time. But yeah, I'll have to look into that for sure. Cool. By the way, you mentioning Ballyhoo, serendipitous. I just read uh, something from John Romero on Twitter. I'm going to put it in the show notes and I will send it to you right now. John oh, cool. Romero uh, played recently Ballyhoo and wrote out a map of all the locations. No way. So it's just That's awesome. Amazing. Isn't that wicked? I, yeah. He's such a notorious, like, Twitch action hardcore gamer. 
it's awesome to think that he would play these old Infocom games. Well, didn't um, it, didn't he create? Uh, I want to say I know I'm, I'm positive Ben Chandler played through it. Hi Ben. Hi Ben. Wow, I, I get to say that. That's kind of cool. <laughs> um, he did. I can't remember the name, of it, but it was it was a CGA role playing game that was just out of this world difficult. Hmm. Uh, but I'm pretty sure, and, and maybe it was an Apple II thing that got ported over to DOS, but. Um, so, you know, it's, it's amazing where, where people kind of have their roots or, I mean, you know, these, especially an innovator like Romero, who basically created this amazing genre and always pushed hardware to limit. But it's kind of neat to find out that, you know, everybody kind of started or at some point when you didn't have that available to you, when the, the hardware didn't support it, that to, to find out that, you know, the, the guy, you know, the doom guy was uh, also a very avid, let's say, rope, you know, RPG guy or yeah. Or, adventure guy so that's uh that's really neat um that's that's really cool yeah this is just a fun little artifact to see and it's true enough uh having read repeatedly uh the masters of doom by david kushner i think it was uh Mm -hmm. they talk a lot about how he's just a lifer john romero he was born to make games and that's all he'll ever do so he started off early and on the early platforms with early game types and so it doesn't surprise me i guess all that much to see him yeah, get into this kind of a thing. It's just awesome to see this map. I've already put it in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, that is that is really neat. What a what a great find. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a good one. That is uh, that is a a very compelling, well well done game. Definitely. I have not played it. I really ought to. That's that's uh, a lot of uh, people whose opinions I trust giving it uh, their kudos. So I, I owe it to myself to try this. Pardon me. Yeah. All right. Well, Bianca, would you like to tell us what you played this week? Mm, let's see. Let's see. Uh, I finished episode two of Life is Strange. And I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. A couple of shows ago, we were talking about life lessons derived from games. Right. And one of the one Brian mentioned was uh, the perm- is that is that once you make a decision in the game, the consequence is permanent and you can't go back, you can't undo your decision, for example. And Isaac, once you pick up an item, you're stuck with that item. At least if it's um, a passive, at least if it's a passive item. I know that you can drop the cards and the trinkets. Oh, sure. So, in this game, Life is Strange, your protagonist, the protagonist, Max, can reverse time. So, so you're in a conversation with somebody and the consequences turn out to be negative or you say the wrong thing or you want to or you need to get something from somebody and you have to impress them with your knowledge but you don't have it you can reverse time and then give them the information that they're looking for to impress them even if you didn't have it before so nothing is quite permanent but when it's permanent it's really shocking to have to realize that you know you can't reverse time all the time that sometimes it will be permanent <laughs> So, so how do you feel about that when that happens? Do you think that's a detriment to the game, or do you appreciate that you're stuck with your decisions? I have no problem with it being permanent. It's just kind of shocking when it happened because it was just like, but I was trying to help her. I I didn't know that was going to happen. I wish I could go turn the clock back. Mm-hmm. And I accepted the result, and I knew, and I, 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 but I kind of hoped that I you know, wouldn't let her jump off the roof of the building. Mm-hmm. I tried not to. It happened. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I don't realize how many. I don't know if anyone in this who on this pod, who listens to this podcast actually has played Life is Strange. So, oh, do you recommend it? 
I do recommend it. If you if you like like very scenic uh, choose your adventure type games, this is a good one for that. What's the gameplay? How do you interact with the game? You walk around, or you walk around W A S D, and then you you can look at items and you can interact with items. Third person, like an adventure game. Yes. Mm -hmm. The Ooh, achievement cool. system is interesting because you only get you, the achievements are for taking photographs because the protagonist is a photographer. There are ten achievements for taking photographs of ten unique things in, in each chapter. There's five. There's five episodes in this game. Can we call him a photagonist? <laughs> Sorry. So you can call nice. me the protagonist. Thank you. And he drinks uh, blue unicorn? She drinks blue unicorn. Okay. I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. Please continue. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely worth it. And I just think that the achievements are interesting because it kind of forces you to uh, look around at the uh, world around you. Because as a photographer, your your protagonist has to be observant of the world around her so she can capture stuff in the moment it happens. And yet, part of the Part of her, the irony is because she can rewind time, she can go back to precisely that special moment to, to photograph something. For example, in episode one, because I'm not that, because I haven't actually started episode three, um, there's a scene in the bathroom where this butterfly lands on the janitor's bucket, mm -hmm. and she doesn't take, doesn't remember to take a photograph of, and she uh, takes, and she she didn't realize she could take a photograph of it before the rest of the uh, scene happens. But after you were one time, she recalled that this butterfly lands you, and then she takes this amazing photograph that she can now have for her uh, collection that's eventually going to be that might be shown at this uh, exhibit that all the students, at all the photography students at this really hoity-toity art school. Called, uh, interestingly enough called Blackwell are huh. encouraged to attend to hmm. pretty neat mm -hmm. but yeah there's oh, but for the most part there's no permanency to your decision until you've actually left the scene because you can rewind unless until you can rewind your conversations and see what the result is of, both, of all your conversations before you make a decision on which one you want to accept sometimes I know that in the most recent one all three outcomes have undesirable results, but you have to take take the least of those three evils. Hmm. And surprisingly, I, I, took, I didn't take the least of the three evils. I took the second one, even though the consequences began, because I'm like, I like my professor, and I didn't want him to get into trouble, and I wanted to go to this, uh, vote, uh, this photo show and get my uh, work displayed, even though my character, yeah, right, had... Um, <laughs> didn't have her uh, project finished. Hmm. I'm like, screw this. I'm going to uh, incriminate the security guard. He's a jackass. Mm -hmm. But of course, I still get yelled at and I get accused of being a uh, punk-ass druggie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an interesting game mechanic to be able to get the results and then kind of go back. That's... Uh I, that sounds very interesting. I hadn't heard of Life is Strange, but it sounds like it's worth checking out. Yeah, I appreciate that they kind of make that mechanic inside the game, so they sort of make that canonical instead of doing the yeah. save scumming thing where you try something and you don't like what you did, so you restore your save game and go back. It's kind of like that's out of time. That's something out of the universe of the game that reminds you you're using software. I appreciate when yeah. they build that in into the game. In fact, even in the most recent episode, you have to save your friend, and you have no choice, but every time it comes really close, you have to you stuff time just enough to rewind it just before the train hits her because her foot gets stuck in these tracks and you have to free her by uh, 
figuring out where the yakayers are to open this box, get this crowbar, and and redirect the train in time to free your friend's mm. foot. Sounds tense. It is. Yeah, indeed. All I was uh, missing is that one song from Fahrenheit when you're climbing the fence. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Bianca likes to listen to this soundtrack from Fahrenheit sometimes, and half of that soundtrack is like tense heart attack music when you're having some kind of a timed event to do something before some catastrophe happens. But it's like the super extended version, so it's like eight and a half minutes long. So that gives me palpitations. So now, I, I have to ask, is this the David Cage extraordinaire Fahrenheit? Or that it is. Yes. What was the, what's the alternate name for it? I can never remember. Indigo, Indigo Prophecy. Indigo Prophecy. That's the North American The neutered version. Oh, snip, snip. Gosh. No sex, no nudity. Uh, uh, uh. We don't no. want to see any <laughs> But isn't that weird, though, that they call it Fahrenheit everywhere but the country that uses it? I know. There must have been a copyright violation or yeah, something. Yeah, there was because of Michael Moore's movie Fahrenheit. This oh, is Fahrenheit okay. 9-11. Really? That's, that's a bit of a I think, reach, I don't know if they didn't no want kidding. to... I didn't know if they wanted to be con- if it was conflicting with that movie, or because then there was also Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they just... Did, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe they yeah. just didn't want to be associated with Michael Moore or something. Yeah, that's, that's e- either Political. party, perhaps. True. To, you know, but... Uh, well, uh, forever, I... I, do, I they don't really mention it too much anymore. Occasionally they do, but the uh, the palpable dislike for all things David Cage occasionally <laughs> used to come up a lot more in the old Blue Cup Tools podcast. But mm-hmm. uh, certainly, if, if somebody brings it up, they they will. But the for, I am forever cursed now because uh, I think I mentioned this. Uh, I can't remember to who, uh, but there is uh, we have descriptors for re- reading weather. We can either see it in raw form or. You know, it can get decoded or whatever, but yeah, most people prefer to have been looking at it in the kind of the raw form. And it's just um, some of them are kind of goofy, but it makes sense. So, you know, here's, you know, three and four letter things that describe clouds and and different things. Well, rain is R-A. That makes sense. First two letters of rain. Mm-hmm. And then you throw a minus in front of it if it's light. No, no symbol in front of it means kind of moderate and then a plus means heavy so hmm. snow is another one that, that's very easy it's sn so plus sn means heavy snow well wouldn't you know it plus ra you guessed it heavy rain so uh, every time hmm. i see that now and it's not exceedingly common but i will think oh david cage's heavy rain thank you blue cup tools for ruining that for <laughs> forever now i can't think of anything else if i see of course it means crappy weather but uh yeah so every time heavy rain i think of the you know, Ben or Francisco going off on a on a glorious tangent about how awful it is and everything else. So anyway, um, that game so, name yeah. that that game name Heavy Rain always reminds me of. I don't remember what the movie is called anymore. It was like Steve Martin and uh, uh, well, it was Steve Martin movie, and it, they like have a movie inside the movie called Chubby Rain. Oh yeah, I don't remember what movie it was the, now. The actual movie title is "Case." That's a good point. Uh, That's what it reminds me of. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, a, and it was supposed That's, to be like a, an intentional terrible name, right? Which I'm <laughs> sure isn't too far. I haven't played Heavy Rain because I don't have the system for it, but that, that I'm sure, I think it's probably an apt comparison. Yeah, I, to be fair, I haven't played it either, but I, I kind of feel like I have based on all the uh, the comments that I've heard, which really probably isn't really fair. But, yeah, it's, uh, its reputation yeah. precedes it at this point. In, Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yes. So did you play anything else this week, Bianca? Uh, yes, we played Borderlands 2. Oh, right. I, I finally begged you enough that you gave in. 
Uh, we bought Borderlands 2. I, I coaxed you into buying Borderlands 2 when it was on sale, like, how long ago? Six months ago? Nine months ago? A and we played ago. it. And we played it very... Well, we... She bought it. She installed it. She, like, uninstalled it and reinstalled it. Didn't want to play it. Was stubborn about playing it. Finally, she's like, okay, fine. I'll play it with you. We played it. We, like, marathoned it for one day for, like, six and a half hours. And then wow. she never touched it again for another half year at least. And so now I'm thrilled that she and I have been playing it a little bit together this week. And what's your verdict? Do not let Brian near a fast travel panel oh. before the boss because he'll make you run the dungeon three, two more times Whoopsie. afterwards. Whoopsie. <laughs> we had to run this one instance three times because he teleported us back to town. He's like, Twice, oh. wasn't it? Well, we had to run it a third time because we never got to the boss the first two times. Oh, so, oh yeah, you the, crashed the first time. First time I crashed. Second time. <sighs> Second time, yeah, I used the stupid irreversible fast travel thing thinking we could buy ammo and come right back. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't. Oh, no. Oopsie. And there was ammo right be just before where we were where we could have run back to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that aside, what do you think? It's okay. It's okay? Mm-hmm. That's kind of my description for it I, I described it as that game is good enough it's like it's not amazing it fills time it has good moment-to-moment -moment action but it's kind of hollow so that game is just good enough to spend your time on if you have time that you want to murder it's a game you play when you're absolutely desperate to play something and the person sitting beside you won't shut up until you play <laughs> until you play a co-op game with them. Even I love playing co-op games with even you. Even though you'd rather play a visual novel or some other solo piece of crap, you know it's total garbage, but you're probably going to enjoy it anyways. Meanwhile, the person sitting beside you is going to piss and moan about what a boring ass piece of hunk of crap you're playing and you, they'd rather you play with them. That's our agreement though, isn't it? Whenever one of us is engaged in a story, the other person is obligated to poo-poo it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Unless, of course, it's a brand new game, like the one you just finished playing, in which case, I have to zip my lip. Otherwise, I get these very dirty looks. Yay. Hmm. True enough. So that's Borderlands 2, anyway. Mm -hmm. I know you have this, the, pre, the, pre, the prequel, which I know you're not terribly crazy about. And I don't know why. Borderlands the pre-sequel. What a stupid name. It's a, it's a tongue-in-cheek game. I don't know why. Borderlands 2 I had a good enough time with. I guess it's because I invested my time in one character. For the most part, I didn't care about the pre-sequel one, I, I, which is an actually a sequel. I, it is actually a sequel. I tried to like it. I tried to put time into it. I just don't care about it. I don't know why. It came out too soon after Borderlands 2, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, that's all you played this week, dear? Uh, and of course, Adventure Capitals with its... Uh... Oh, yeah, there's a event going on now. Yep. And then that's about it. All right, well, I'll quickly just say, I tried loading up American Truck Simulator this week. I mean, it loaded up, but for some reason, my profile got corrupted. So that's like 11 hours of my trucking business seems to have been to have disappeared into the ether. Mm -hmm. I contacted uh, SCS Software's uh, support people, and they gave me kind of like a half coherent answer, which didn't solve my problem. So that was disappointing. I expected better from them, considering how great they are at patching their games for such a long time. Yeah. And how much money I spent on their games, but anyway, so I guess I got to restart that game. So I'll get around to it. I also I offered Brian to use my profile, but I doubt he wants uh, to use uh, my save game. I don't want your smelly truck. <laughs> what you don't so buy want... a new truck? Huh? I didn't even have a truck yet. I, I took that game was hard, so we didn't even have our own trucks yet. We were doing jobs for other companies. 
Well, actually, you could have you could have got a loan. We could have gotten a loan, but I played it your way, which was which would have been very rewarding. I had like it took me eleven hours to make three quarters as much money as I needed to buy a truck, mm-hmm. and now it's all it all went poof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My trucker guy went on like a a, a Red Bull Green Horse <laughs> Blue Unicorn Bender, <laughs> and we haven't seen him since. So that's the end of his story, I guess. <laughs> I, he had debt to the mob. <laughs> <laughs> so what else? Paid for him. I. Oh, I played and finished Legion Suit Larry 1 VGA. You in... finished that? I was, like, not watching. How the fuck did you finish it? It's a very short game. Oh, okay. That game was originally from, like, 1984, 1983 or something. No, 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 no. 1986, I think, or 1987. It's an old game. The VGA remake was from the early 90s, 1990 maybe or so, 91. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cute. I like that game, flaws and all. It's a simple game, but... Uh, I, I do. I did have a good time with it. I like the humor, and oh, and of course, I finished Quantum Break, which I mentioned starting last week, and I loved it so much. That was uh, Remedy's new uh, run and gun and story game. I absolutely loved Quantum Break. The the there is room for improvement with the performance, the technological performance of the game but that will come in time, and when it does, I will replay it because it's got lots of branching narrative that lets you replay it and get new story stuff. So I absolutely loved it. I, I, it has my wholehearted recommendation. If you like that kind of, if you like Max Payne or Alan Wake, totally, you should get quantum break. It's phenomenal. Nice. Yes. All right. That's enough of that. Let's uh, go ahead to our topic. Hooray. Um, Perfect. So we have two tweet comments about our topic. One is from Robert Menez. Hey, Robert. He, he mentions the, uh, he mentions from bedrooms to billions. One of the one of the best ones discussing the rise of the bedroom programmers to large software houses. The produce oh um, right so that was uh, that was uh, about early computer systems a documentary. Um, the producers of bedrooms to billions responded to that tweet saying that we should look out for the upcoming sequel to their documentary called the Amiga Years. So that'll definitely be something interesting to look for if I find a. Uh, a link to that. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and Amir at Akago, hello Akago, says, the only one that he's seen was Indie Game the Movie, which was pretty entertaining and insightful. And that's a movie that I enjoyed. I just did not enjoy all the people in that movie. But that was that was a pretty interesting movie. I, I had a good time watching that. Did you did yeah. you see that one, Chris? Indie Game the Movie? Yeah, I did, and it's it's somewhat serendipitous because I had heard uh, very good things about From Bedrooms to Billions. Also, I just watched it maybe a couple of weeks ago, so it's still uh, relatively fresh in my mind. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, which one which one do you want to start with? Because they're both, definitely both on my list anyway, uh, as far as that goes. Oh, well, um, Bianca, since you haven't watched too many documentaries, did you want to ask us something to lead us into the topic? Should I ask your question for you since you don't remember it? <laughs> what makes a good documentary? That was my question. That was your stupid suggestion. Yeah, well, I wanted to give you something to say because you haven't watched too many of them. Okay. That's the question, woman. Whenever you say man, <laughs> man meat. <laughs> um, what made you choose to watch a gaming, a, a documentary specifically about making games? Go for it, Chris. Okay, well, it's it's a great question. I I really enjoy documentaries. I enjoy movies in general, but um, you know, so 
having seen a, a fair number of these, I kind of feel like a documentary that talks about you know, a subject like computers or, or games or programming, something that is just, uh, um, it's just like, you know, a cake with icing. It's just really, really, really interesting and really compelling to me. But, uh, as far as kind of the general question of what makes a good documentary, I think really, um, I, just my personal opinion, it's all about the people, mm-hmm. uh, the people, the characters, uh, and their stories. You can have, uh, what might appear to be a really, really mundane topic, but of course, you know, everyone's got something interesting or, or a story to share. Um, so I think you can get a stellar documentary about something that might be just on the surface, not interesting at all, but just kind of due to the folks that are involved, uh, that maybe becomes a, a very, you know, something that is ultimately watchable and, uh, you know, really kind of, kind of gripping and, and keeps your attention. So it just to the question of what would make me want to watch a documentary about gaming, that just, I, would, I kind of answer, of course I want to see that. And this is because it kind of goes to two things that I really enjoy, you know, films or documentaries in general, and then you know, subject matter that's also um, kind of near and dear to my heart or part of my life or something that, you know, that I, I really look fondly upon. Um, as far as the, you know, a lot of times you just say documentary, you, uh, kind of mind goes to something like Ken Burns. Like we had to watch the Civil War documentary in, <laughs> in junior high or grade seven. And I really, I like Ken Burns stuff, but it's this kind of this formula thing. It's really, really long, right? It's got like, um, you know, a whole season's worth of episodes. It might be, you know, this monster 20 hours of stuff. And they, they cover in painstaking fashion, the, you know, the United States Civil War. They go through and, uh, but it really a lot of it, the bridge is still photos and so much to the point where as very brief aside i think movie maker um which i don't even know if they have in windows anymore yes they um, do but you have to uh download it it's, uh, it's still available it's just not inherently built in right that's that's so silly i i think the um I, I think the the 32-bit version of Movie Maker, I, my opinion, was the best. It was, you know, it came with it. It was, you know, somewhat accessible, pretty easy to do. And uh, but it actually, I, I want to say, it actually has in there one of the names of the effects is like the Ken Burns effect, where mm. if you just want to throw some, you know, some photos in there, you get the kind of, you know, the pan forward, the pan back. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty effective. Cool. Yes, but, the, uh, the one available you know. right now actually has all that stuff in it, and it looks just like paint. It operates and it has the same ribbon bar as uh, yeah, the there you go. paint. Well, do they call it the Ken Burns effect? Or is that, is that what they actually call it in the software, or is it just his style? I, gosh, I don't actually know. I, I, I think I'm right in it. I think at some point, it's kind of amazing that Ken Burns would lend his name to that, but if not that, maybe maybe I'm dreaming on that one. I'm pretty sure one of the birds of Windows actually had that in there. <laughs> but uh, but in any case, you're really talking about you don't have a lot of actual video footage, especially for something like the Civil War. So you've got narration, these photographs, and a soundtrack. And in the case of Civil War, this is kind of appropriate classical music for what would be kind of considered, you know, I don't know, 1850s, 1860s music. But it's it's done very well. And then, of course, it does cut to a whole various number of people talking live, kind of interviews, or, you know, Shelby Foote and, and different historians of the time, biographers and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit different in, in the realm of, you know, of gaming where you have, you know, actual people, you have developers you can talk to or, um, you know, certainly – 
uh, whether it's you know players or users or whoever. So that's a little more cut and dry, but kind of the crux of it is the same. And um, certainly there have been some bad documentaries out there, but I it's hard to think of one that I enjoyed that didn't have a good soundtrack. If that makes sense. So that is hmm. because you might just be bridging you know a lot of what would just be sepia toned you know old really old photographs or um, just cutting together video that you know from kind of different disparate sources uh a good soundtrack even if it's more kind of the underscoring where it's not um you know necessarily you know kind of um you know songs from popular artists or whatnot i think that really uh, because you don't have a lot of the cinematic things that films have to fall back on when you really it might just it could literally be just somebody in a hallway in in kind of uh you know, whatever lighting that you got and, you know, kind of, you know, telling his or her story that, that kind of becomes part of it, that the soundtrack I think takes on a little more importance than it does in film. Not to say that a good or great soundtrack doesn't really enhance an action movie or some of the great movies out there. That's, that's definitely part of it, but I think it's, it's kind of a more vital component to a documentary. And certainly all the ones that we talked about have great soundtracks. Indie game, the movie, has a just a brilliant soundtrack, just really really good. Um, even, even if you don't care for certain parts of the movie or, or what the soundtrack is, you know it's really outstanding. Mm. Um, gosh, the, the the guy who did it, his Twitter handle is Jam Pants, and I can't remember his name. Jim Guthrie, maybe I think that's right. I think you're right. Yes. Uh, so yeah, just really really well done. You know, it's 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 a little bit chip tuney, but it's kind of to me always seemed innovative. It kind of tra- it transcends just the kind of that whole um, world of of, of chip tune music. It's really quite good. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but, you're uh, right. Actually, a good soundtrack. It, if if it's like licensed music from the period or whatever, it kind of puts you there. And if it's mm-hmm. uh, music that's commissioned especially for the the uh, documentary, then it's uh, kind of a good way of making you feel. Like it accentuates your emotions or it leads you in a certain direction or it can actually make you feel anticipation for something that's already happened in the past. You may already know what's going to happen, but it kind of it kind of brings you there. Yeah. Not to say that um, that, you know, that music, um, you know, like to hear like a song by the Foo Fighters or something in it. Generally, you said it, that would have to be licensed and maybe, you know, they would there would be some sort of, you know, contact where the document or the filmmaker would have to reach out to the you know, to the Foo Fighters of people say, Hey, can we, you know, use this song? How much is it going to be, et cetera. So that, so this, um, I find that, um, you know, something that is created just for the documentary, original music, or original score. I enjoy that a little more cause it's, it's new music. And, uh, I'd love to see how it's cut together where, you know, if it, you know, does it, you know, is it this kind of mood because we're going you know, kind of getting towards a really serious or, or sad or, or kind of use it the climax and, and just how everything ties together. I've always been, uh, had a really kind of strong interest in, in how that works and, and whatnot. Yeah. But, uh, but I guess above all, just, you know, kind of new composition or, uh, something new that, uh, is always uh, just a little bit more enjoyable for me, but, uh, certainly there are great uses of, you know, songs it if you're doing a period piece like if it's from the 20s or something well sure you're gonna probably have to include some subject matter that's either emblematic or at least um suggests kind of whatever's going on at the time there sure but uh but yeah i guess since we're talking about any game the movie uh, that's actually so it's it's two canadians uh two of your uh countrymen and countrywomen um i'm gonna get the, I know the first names it's it's james and 
Lisanne, I want to say. Uh, is that right? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I didn't know they were Canadian. I, I, Neat. I'm not even going to try the uh, the last names there, but uh, <laughs> this this for me was um, this was the first I had ever heard of all of these folks. To be honest with you, all the developers were all just not known to me prior to this movie coming out. But um, but it, it's it's very well done. It's kind of a common thing. It doesn't just focus on one developer in one game. They go through with um, it's you know the the Super Meat Boy team, uh, Phil Fish doing Fez and Jonathan Blow, who at the time is talking about Braid, but who has since gone on to release The Witness recently, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 very very interesting. They also I'm trying to think do they um, do they include some snippets of some other developers as well? Like I, Spelunky's in there, but I'm trying to think if that's a special feature. Do you happen to remember? Um, uh, I watched it before they added a whole bunch of special features that are at least okay. as long as the film itself, which I don't think I did watch. It does focus primarily on the ones that you mentioned. Yeah. And I remember the movie being criticized to some extent that these were all like runaway hits that made millions of dollars, which is extremely rare for an indie studio to ever do, which kind mm-hmm. of makes the title of the movie a little misleading because sure. it, it, yeah. it kind of purports to speak for all indie game developers when in fact it's like the best case scenario for the most part of yeah, success. That, I, I will agree with that. And yeah, you know, I'm scrolling down now. Yeah. So the, there lots of special features. They're all quite good as well, but they, they do talk about, so they talk about passage Spelunky and ah. uh, some other things in the, uh, in the, in the, I'm sorry, the special edition has additional shorts. So like, you know, Sorry, a 10 class. or 15 minute kind of thing. And, uh, and interestingly enough, one of the things that's in there is the thing that got Phil Fish into all the trouble. Right. Uh, oh. when, when he made the statement at, uh, one of the, one of the big gatherings about Japanese games and it just, it, la- it launched this just firestorm of controversy and whatnot. Um, hmm. I don't, I don't know that, that kind of, let's see. So super meat boy was an Xbox release. Fez, I think, has seen a, a, whole, a lot of cross-platform stuff, but I think at the time it was more console-based. Is that right? Uh, console on PC, I believe, or did it okay. come on PC later? I think it came out on PC later, but I, I could be could be wrong in that. But and then, but these these were all kind of games that were a little bit outside my uh, my sphere, at least in terms of uh, you know I don't have an Xbox, and uh, uh, but it was interesting to me because I always considered kind of the whole indie game movement. Uh, talking about the, the the kind of that world, I always viewed it from a through a PC lens. Like the the whole thought of you know, that's one of the great things about the computer and I don't know if you say the App Store or Google Play or, or whatnot is you know you don't have to. I mean, this thought of going to Sony or going to Microsoft, be like, hey, I've got a game, you know, here it is, and then kind of laughing in your face that um, is certainly more accessible in either you know the computer realm or the app world where you just get it out there somehow and, and try to, you know, drum up some support or, or popularity or however it goes. Sure. Um, but it, so it was an interesting take for, at least in this case of super meat boy in that it was a real kind of soup to nuts ground up indie approach where, you know, these guys, you know, had been making games, but they teamed up and, and were able to kind of struggle through that. So I certainly understand the controversy. I doesn't really bother me as much because I think the stories that are told are interesting uh, and yeah. have to kind of transcend that. And that's maybe, I think you can enjoy it. And then, um, 
that doesn't kind of cut into the enjoyment of it for me. It has all the great elements of the, the things we talked about, what makes a good documentary. And, uh, and, and once again, I think one of the, one of the things that kind of maybe dovetails into double fine adventure too, is that you really get the sense that you're kind of getting the real story. Like when, when, when they're, when they show everyone in their, you know, kind of burned out and they're just encoding or, you know, gone through a long stretch, you really kind of feel for these folks to get the sense that, you know, all this work and all the, the kind of the, all the machinations and effort that it takes to make a game. Uh, and they do a pretty good job of actually representing that. So, yeah. um, so that kind of human element to where it's not just, you know, Oh, we did this. It was really easy. You know, you should do this too. And you, you kind of get the sense like, you know, that's a, that's a really large undertaking and to, to, you know, to be successful, it's, um, it almost struck me. I said, I I'm very fortunate to, to feel like I know a few, you know, game developers and having kind of dipped my toe into just a little bit of, you know, programming and, and development on my own, uh, kind of feel this as well. But this notion of, so you complete this, it, you, you write this great game, you put it out and whether it's self-imposed or whether it's, um, like from, you know, from your company or however it comes, there's always this notion of what's coming next. Uh, and it's just kind of, uh, it's kind of a tough thing, you know, for the people who say, all right, I'm just going to take six months off and kind of, you know, enjoy myself or whatever. But it just seems like programmers and developers are really kind of maybe more so than other folks are just always kind of haunted by this. Hmm. What's my, what's my next thing? And then, um, and, and certainly like filmmakers and documentary makers too, where it takes, you know, three to four years to cut all this together. And, you know, it's just like, gosh, you do all that. And then it's out there and okay. You know, it's just kind of, so, so that, that notion kind of plays strong. It, it seems to be kind of a, a little bit of a through line throughout indie game where, you know, they're kind of, how do we, you know, how do we move on from this? What's our next project? But that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's just kind of part of the, the life cycle of, of being a, an artist or a developer, whatever you have to say. But, um, so that is kind of a, I think they deal with that in a, in a pretty satisfying sense, even if it is a little bit melancholy. I mean, you know, they, they're certainly not afraid to, uh, you know, to show, you know, folks, you know, with, you know, in kind of emotional states and whatnot, but yeah, mm-hmm. I really liked it. What, what did you guys think of it or what, uh, I know Brian, you, you saw it. Did you see it? pretty soon after it came out or was it later on i believe i bought it on steam as soon as it was released on there um mm-hmm. i think it kind of made the rounds in uh film festivals etc and had some kind of showings publicly before it was available for purchase on okay. steam it might have been on i don't know uh, so i watched the original uh version of it it was a really interesting uh movie and i did enjoy it i did enjoy the stories of the people i appreciated that the participants themselves, the people who are featured in the documentary, agreed to um, appear on there at all, never mind to permit uh, leaving in a lot of, like, not necessarily favorable sure. scenes of them, like showing them yeah. at their worst and at their most flustered. Mm-hmm. It's it's fantastic that they agreed to that, and I give them huge credit for allowing themselves to, like, be exposed like that. Um, Indeed. Indeed, I thought it was for the most part. I thought it was pretty fair because it doesn't glamorize it, as you say. It it really shows like it takes a long time to do this. There's like a fine line between something that works and something that's good. Um, mm-hmm. And I liked how they uh, showed Team Meat and their frustrations with Microsoft not getting shown on their store uh, yeah. in a timely fashion, yeah. and how like how they agonized over just waiting to hear anything about their game and having to wait and wait and wait for that. Um, there is, of course, all the Phil Fish 
stuff. He's uh, he's kind of a hard guy to like for me. Um, there's no denying what a phenomenally talented guy he is and the caliber of the work that he can output, and he won all kinds of awards and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he's, his his parts were tough for me to watch, I found, just because he's a very kind of frantic, frenetic person. And if, I think especially at the time where this where he was interviewed for this film, mm-hmm. he was going through all of these frustrations with his former business partner being yeah. wishy-washy about contracts and such. Sure. So I cut him some slack for that. But regardless, I'm a little ashamed to admit that I held off on buying Fez for years and years and years just because he rubbed me the wrong way in that movie. It took me a long time to kind of get over myself. I only bought it this year. It's it's just – it's so interesting and perhaps this is one of the reasons that they chose the developer in the project they did. So it's really – it's three completely different takes, different games, different development styles. You've got – you know – You've got the team. You've got you know Edmund Millen and uh, Tommy starts with an R. Uh, uh, Refines. There you go. Thanks for getting me uh, pronunciation. But there's you got those guys, and it's obvious. Like you know, Edmund does this. Tommy's more of the coder, and they you know it's they have their clashes too. But generally, that's all right. So they're you know they, they overall it seems like they work pretty well together. That's and it's it's a very you know very you know, stylized kind of um a really kind of unique and and kind of groundbreaking game i think and then you've got on the complete other end of the spectrum you've got jonathan blow who's uh you know this is very 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 polished uh you know very um kind of I, I, almost kind of high-minded and uh very professorial you know like if yeah. it, it would it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if you know if they had you know, put his bio up there and said, yeah, Jonathan Blow, you know, a professor of computer science or professor of uh, game building, professor of art at so-and-so university wouldn't have surprised me at all. It yeah. kind of seems like that fits right in very, um, you know, very, very, like I said, very well-spoken and uh, kind of a measured approach to things. And uh, just really clear that he, he knows kind of what he wants out of his game and, and why and if it takes a long time, it takes a long time. This is it, it just very, uh, you know, a kind of a, a almost a cool confidence, but in a in a in a kind of a pleasing, uh, just completely different from you know the other two folks in the, in the movie. And then you've got Phil Fish, who and I, I, I kind of this is one of those things where uh, <laughs> I know he is a, a a not a very well liked figure by some, and I just think just like you, I, I can really appreciate that um, you know these difficult things that he was going through. That you know you're allowed to show it, so I, I would I would love to actually you know that's one where I don't know that it's necessarily fair to paint with the brush of just what we saw in the movie. It's um, true. It's very true. Know, so I, I I kind of feel like to to actually form an opinion, I would I would kind of um, you know I would I would need some more, but uh, it's still it doesn't make it any less interesting or um, you know, and it's just again and Fez the game, I mean, it just uh, I want to say when it was what was it like halfway through development it won one of these big awards and yeah and I think part of the the struggle then became okay it won the you know blah 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 award in 2008 uh, and now the game kind of has to live up to that and that's kind of a that's a very human struggle and uh, it became kind of a kind of a central story point for like this the back half of the movie when with regard to to Phil Fish and and Fez but um, yeah it kind of became I, a curse. I, you know, it's one of those things where I, it's it's such a 
it's such a difficult thing, but to, to be, you know, if you are opinionated and you speak your mind to then just get, just to, to have people just kind of lash out the way that they did. Um, I, I've just never really thought that's fair. I know it's kind of the world we live in. It is kind of the internet and all the bad things about it kind of really kind of, you know, hyper squished into, you know, where, where people have a lot of mediums to do that. But I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. That's, uh, and then, and then that becomes kind of the story. Well, that's immediately what people think. So, right. um, so that's, that was kind of my, my feeling in that, but it's three very different, different narratives, different stories, different, you know, kind of all throughout and, and woven together in, uh, in, in a, in a very, in a very craftily or, or uh, you know, very, very well-made film. Um, this is kind of, I, I don't know when exactly this happened, but this notion of cutting between stories, this has become very, very prominent in television, almost to the point where, you know, a couple of the like network shows that are on, it happens so quickly. It's almost like a Faulkner-esque thing where, you know, if you're reading the sound of the fury, you know, the, you don't know which, like which timeline you're in or who's talking or whatever. It's really, really to parse it is sometimes very difficult. It's kind of the and pulp it, fiction school of documentaries. Yeah. It's, you know, where, okay. So we're, we're going to throw, if, if we're doing a flashback, we're going to throw a yellow filter or like a, you know, you, so you get that little change in style and okay, this means it's in the past, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe without, without any type of indication, of, you know, <laughs> this oh, is right. 1988 now or something like that. It's just, just a little, <laughs> kind of teeny change in, in in the style of the of the cinematography is supposed to tell you oh yeah this is in the past and oh this character looks a lot younger than and kind of put it together but um so so this is this kind of notion of jumping around and then eventually kind of tying it all together and and going on and and kind of that um it it happens in in certainly places other than documentaries sure but uh but I think you know, Indie Game the Movie is a very good template for, you know, if you're going to make a documentary that has different stories, this is a very good way to do it. Yeah, and it kind of sure keeps it, it moving. Yeah, I'm sure it was, you know, difficult in the editing bay or whatever to figure out, okay, how are we going to, you know, who's, what, what clip are we going to, how are we going to put these all together? But, um, but that is, uh, like I said, I, I think it's, it's definitely, definitely a really good one. Um, and thankfully, it, it seems like I, I wonder if, if people who were kind of on the fence about making movies that they did looked at indie game, the movie and said, okay, clearly there's a market for this, or this is enjoyable. Maybe we can do this and, and kind of go on and, and be successful. Or this, this is content that people really want to see. Cause it, it seems like you said it, it made the rounds and all the, the, you know, film festivals and, and, and it's really, um, has, has been, and people really seem to like it. It's, it's been successful and a lot of good things to say and rightly so. I think it's it's interesting. I, I think the movie came out in 2011, and I didn't I didn't hear anything about it. Uh, I, I came to it much later. I want to say in maybe 2013, or yeah, I think 2013 is when I saw it. So a full two years after it came out. But hmm. uh, where was I? I just totally missed it. You know, I'm sure I'm sure it probably came through Chicago at some point. I would have been neat to go actually see it in the theater. I just was not plugged in enough to, to kind of know, but, uh, I don't, but yeah. yeah, I don't, I think it was at some film festivals. It certainly didn't have like a wide release in major theaters or anything. I think it was mm-hmm. just like in one city at a time for sure. a day or something here or there. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. As is the case with many smaller documentaries. For sure. 
Sure. sure. Well, in the interest of time, we we, uh, we took longer than we meant to with the pre-show stuff. So um, I would like to uh, leave this off, leave the podcast off at about two hours or so. We're already at about an hour and a half. Okay. So let's. I, I'm good. very much appreciating the depth of our conversation, and I, there's no reason we need to uh, to uh, sabotage that. So if we don't get to uh, everything on our topic, you are of course always most welcome to come back. Oh, but, that would uh, be great. Sure thing. Sure, but let's Appreciate get going it. anyway. All right, sounds good. So, in the game, the movie. What uh, what next? Why don't we uh, Why don't we tackle the elephant in the room? Something that uh, I finished watching not too long ago, uh, mostly okay. based on uh, your desire to discuss it, which is yes. Double Fine Adventure. Yes. So, boy, did I love this! I loved every second of this documentary. It was I, a, it was a good like ten hours long or something, wasn't it? Nine or ten hours yeah. long. It's so, just perpetually fascinating. I love I love this movie, and I love the the staff at Double Fine for doing it. I, I'm really glad you said that because my reaction, having seen it recently, was this is this is just incredible. Yep. Uh, it's just a really really amazing project. So I was able to kind of it's it's for free. It's on it's on YouTube now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's so it's it's the contents all out there. Um, indie game movie too. I think uh, I get it a lot of different places. I must say VHX or um, which I'm so bad with this. Is it Steam or GOG that also has movies? One of those two. They both does. do, as a matter of oh, fact. They both do. Okay, so it's 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 on at least one of those, but um, very accessible. You know, you get it out there. Indie game movie. I think you have to you know to, to fork over a few bucks for, it, but well worth it. Mm-hmm. But um, Double Find Adventure totally free now. It's in the public domain, or in, at least you can you can get it and, and watch it. Um, so just a, a quick aside. So this, this whole notion of double fine, um, this is something that's, uh, so go back to the, um, you know, I think it was 2012. Was it 2012 when they had their, their initial Kickstarter campaign that raised the, uh, um, the, the large sum of money? Pretty sure. Okay. So 2012, this happens, uh, and it brings, it causes this kind of seismic shift in, in gaming, at least from where, from where, from where I stand. Uh, oh, sure. Know, yes. Kind of, you know, adventure games and the, the end of, of Sierra and kind of the winding down of LucasArts, at least in, in, you know, all the kind of the big players in adventure gaming, uh, that, that were just really cranking along and doing well, um, you know, kind of going forth and, um, and, and doing this, um, so, so yeah, so the, the, the big Kickstarter 2012 seismic shift and these, these different people come out of the woodwork, right? So then, uh, not too long after, or the, the double, just the, the fact that they have this successful Kickstarter Kickstarter at that point was still fairly new, mm-hmm. or at least it was new to me. Uh, and so this kind of shattered records and was really, it was, it garnered a lot of attention from folks, you know, outside of, of gaming and, and adventure gaming, um, just be, because of the success of the project. Everybody and, wanted a piece of the pie after yeah, Double Fine for, proved it to be possible. For sure. Uh, so the, the one that kind of comes to mind for me immediately are, and we're still waiting for the project and I still have very high hopes, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. is the, uh, is Space Venture. So, right. um, kind of the, the power of this, it's kind of encapsulated for me in, you know, so you've got the, the two guys from Andromeda, right? Scott Murphy and, uh, and Mark Crow, who, you know, kind of, there was that, that interview that Scott Murphy gave where he was kind of really 
kind of brutally honest about some of the kind of the last days of Sierra and had some really kind of uh, kind of almost disturbing, you know, no doubt true things, but disturbing than how things kind of with the whole debacle with Space Quest V going to to Dynamics instead of Sierra. And um, yeah, I just remember reading that and just kind of cringing. I'm like, oh man, you know, this, this. so the thought of like, would these guys ever get back together and do something? It just seemed like no chance kind of thing. Yeah, they had so a real then, falling out. Yeah, they did, which, which happens. I mean, you know, that's that obviously of course. You, you're making games and it's, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And um, it seemed like maybe that the tenor was, you know, that, that, that maybe they were okay, but perhaps working together would be, would be kind of tough. Um, so it's just, and it was, again, it was in print. It was, you know, his interview got, kind of, I can't remember which magazine it is, but just kind of depressing to read it. So yeah. double fine adventure thing happens. The Kickstarter is successful. So, and of course, unbeknownst, you know, the, uh, Chris Pope is already trying to, he sees this is already trying to get the project back together. Well, all the, so, but kind of independent of that, one of the two guys actually called the other one and said, did you see what happened with Double Fine? Can you believe this? We need to get the band back together. And, you know, the kind of the very front wave of this resurgence of, uh, of adventure gaming and really of kind of indie gaming as, as, uh, as a thing, as a genre, I think was really, um, you know, the roots of it were there, but this, this whole crowdfunding aspect of it kind of opened up, um, and just really kind of change the game for to use kind of a tired cliche. Oh sure, uh, no, the, yeah, all the old uh, the old names came crawling out of the woodwork all of a sudden. They, they sure did. You know, some with some success, some without. You know, some had you know great Kickstarter campaigns, some kind of fell on their face. Yep. And and kind of everything in between, and the, and some are, are still kind of uh, on the cusp or or close to release. So that's you know it's a full four years later, and the ripples of that initial Kickstarter campaign are still being felt. So the reason I, I mention and go off on a little bit of a tangent is that um, that event happening uh, was really what kind of it, it it's kind of what spurred me to get kind of back into gaming, believe it or not, where hmm. you know I would play a little bit, but I was more often than not lo- loading up an old DOS game or something. Like that. It was really not something that, that I was able to really do very much. Uh, but the fact that you know these these games from 15 or 20 years ago that the people that developed them were were still around and, and getting back in this is this it's kind of crazy but the double fine adventure kickstarter happens uh, i find out that then the space venture one follows on several months later um, it was the first one of the first kickstarter projects that i actually backed yeah um, me too then i, I actually you know, they did, it's actually really great. They did about 15 or 20 podcasts of some of it is just Scott Murphy and Mark Crow replaying their old games and kind of uh, like a commentary thing. And then they also, hmm. I think to support whether it was the actual campaign or um, maybe the kind of the follow on the PayPal one after they go out and they interview, they interview like Ken Allen and, uh, and a lot of kind of uh, folks from Sierra and kind of so on and so forth. So, that's a great series uh, of it's yeah, like I said, I think it's about 20 podcasts. So it sounds nuts, but I was really not a podcast guy before that. So, you know, I went, so I, I did that and then it was kind of obvious they were done with the series. I know they're like, all right, we're finished, you know, kind of good job. We, we, the, you know, the project funded, we're going to go make this game now. So then I thought, you know, this, I, are, are there any other kind of podcasts about, you know, DOS games or, and that's how I found, the UMB cast. Joe had just started 
and he was on around episode six or so, maybe the one on emulation. So, mm-hmm. um, so I went and like devoured, you know, first five episodes. I'm like, this is fan- phenomenal. So then from there, I found about Anatoly's podcast and Blue Cup Tools and so on. So, so the whole Double Fine Adventure thing for me personally really is kind of the, it's kind of where it started again, where, you know, I was a, you know, avid, you know, user of BBSs and, and games and, and different platforms kind of, you know, growing up and, and whatnot. But, you know, I can kind of point to that and go, that's when, you know, that's when I started listening to podcasts. That's so it was really kind of a lot of firsts for me hmm. too. That's so nice uh, to hear. I guess that's probably a moment considering the, the incredible uh, popularity and success of Double Fine's Kickstarter campaign. I think that was a moment where a whole lot of people all of a sudden felt like they were a lot less alone in liking these things so much longer after. So I'm sure it gave a reawakening to very many people around that time. Yeah. So it's just, it's just so interesting to hear, you know, how people have kind of coalesced around that. And it's interesting. So I, I didn't, I didn't play Broken Age. I didn't back it. I, I didn't, you know, I knew the kind of documentary was going on, but it was kind of an episodic format sent out to backers. But I'm kind of I'm kind of glad I, I've, I've purchased Broken Age now and, and played it. But I was able to they're kind of separate for me. So this being able yeah. to consume the Double Fine Adventure and being able to watch, you know, several episodes at a time. Um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like maybe that's that's an advantage that, uh, you know, if I had had backed it, I might view it through a slightly different different lens but this this is this is just a mind-blowingly good documentary it is it sure is so so honest so well produced all of it the music just like the first few bits of the music that they play and it's always the same theme it's like it just puts a smile on my face me too just, every time it, in fact it, it's a very different offering than indie game the movie indie game the movie it's it's a it's a more traditional documentary in the sense that you've got all right we've got our, our you know our characters, our stories that we're going to tell. And it's, um, I don't want to take anything away from it, but they're just very different products. Double Fine Adventure is like, you get the kind of raw, you know, let's, let's, let's sit down at the, at the conference table and like, how are we going to, how are we going to fund, you know, how are we going to make payroll for the next week? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like we just, we just, we just lost people. We had to put people on a different project within the studio because they don't tell you which one, yeah. but you know, this guy who has just poured his lifeblood into some aspect of the game, the engine or something like that. Now he's on another project. And how do we kind of pick up from that? Mm-hmm. You really get to see. And I mean, it's crazy. Everybody in that thing is is likable. And even if, if not likable, you just it, it just seems so human. You root for them. Uh, the whole the whole kind of tone of that documentary is this sort of cautious optimism where games yeah. are canceled. It's something that happens. And everyone's just hoping like crazy and working so hard and making so many sacrifices just to make sure that that doesn't happen this time. And it's it's so amazing because, of course, there there are names that are are, are legendary, you know, no pun intended, mm-hmm. um, you know, for uh, for you know anyone who's who's had kind of a an affinity for adventure games or gaming throughout. You know, whether you want to talk about Ron Gilbert and and Monkey Island or Tim Schafer and all the, you know, the, the, you know, Day of the Tentacle, Full Throttle. I mean, these are, this kind of royalty of, uh, of, you know, of computer history, if you ask me. Uh, But then kind of, you know, so you've got, you've got them. Uh, But then you have, you know, the other folks. And a lot of these folks were at Lucas or, you know, had, had, had their own kind of background. And it's, um, 
And every one of these folks, it's just, it's like an honor to get to, to kind of share the space. We were like basically in their office. For, totally. And, and it's just kind of amazing to me. I thought, how much footage did they shoot? And how were they able to, they meaning the filmmakers, to, to get this in and to make it so relatable? It's just I, I cannot say enough good things about it. So yeah, you said it. That, that's a very, a very good, uh, good way to put it. Where you really root for these folks. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you've got you know Tim Schafer, and he's you know kind of larger than life, and uh, you know he's he's got a long kind of track record of mega hits, and you know is one of those folks who's really kind of changed the industry. Uh, but it, you know, kind of right alongside that, you've got the uh, you know the, the lead animator, you know Ray. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, don't don't remember his last name, and but you know you got you know him. He's talking about how we're gonna how we're gonna get all these shots in this in this short amount of time, and you really get the sense that um, that there are, are pressures from everywhere. You've got pressures from the backers, pressure for you know to you know can we release by you know for the holidays or to 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 be you know ahead of a, a big conference or something like that. Uh, how we you know balancing. You know, it's not just obviously it's a company working on a lot of things at once. Um, That's true, and then and, you get to see the uh, the higher ups, um, Tim Schaefer and what was the other guy, Greg Rice. Greg um, Rice, and yes, they're like absolutely. shielding their yeah. team from some other kinds of stresses that they themselves have to worry about, but they don't want their team to have to right. think about or worry about that yeah. kind of stuff, whether it's financial or of policy. Potential titles for the game. Oh, that was amazing! <laughs> yeah. His notebooks. Yeah. Boy, do I have tremendous respect for Greg Rice and for Tim Schafer yeah. more than ever after watching this. Yeah, and, and at, at the risk of, of slipping into complete fanboy mode, I feel like <laughs> if you know if I had one of these folks on my flight or I happened to, rec- I'd be like, I'd like you know, okay, shake your hand. You know, I recognize you from you know from Double Fine. You're the lead programmer on so and so. So yeah. it really brought um, just a like I said, uh, and this is this is perhaps why this this documentary or this project has spoken to so many people because for so long, uh, you know, as long as I can remember playing games from the, you know, having the, you know, from the like, you know, late seventies, early eighties and on, this was something that was largely a mystery. I mean, the, the folks that, that, you know, you created these games. Like I, I remember when, when electronic arts and trip Hawkins, they, they kind of started the studio and, they said, all right, we're going to do something where we're going to, you know, everyone else has been, you know, you, you've made your games and this or that. We're going to do this. We're going to get like the best people. Mm-hmm. We're going to poach from Atari. We're going to poach from here, 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 and here. We're going to bring together and we're going to make the game developer like a rock star. Right. Like if you remember some of the early EA covers or the, the ads you'd see in um, in the magazines in the, in the mid 80s, that's kind of what they did. You know, they, oh, I can't remember. Um, but they, they, it was kind of, they really kind of stylized the kind of box art and cover art. And it was, you know, that, that putting it out there that, yeah, this is, you know, you kind of, you know, if you see this person's name, you know, you're probably going to, to want to, to purchase their product. So that, right. that was, uh, that was kind of, that was, there were other companies that did that and kind of led with that, but they were, you know, kind of the, one of the first ones that I can remember that really kind of put that out there. But the process was still, it, it wasn't, it was kind of a one way street, like, you know, so they go out and crank out, um, you know, one of their, you know, really seven CDs of gold, let's say. And, but you just didn't know. You're like, how, how did people do this? How many people were involved? What was the team like? What's a normal day like? All this stuff. It was just, it was, you know, you just had kind of no idea. Uh, and so I think the fact that um, if you even, if they even put out the name or the, 
you know, the lead designer or whatever. It was just, it was just a name. You're like, Oh, it's a Bill Budge game. He's the guy that did pinball construction set. And, uh, um, and, and a lot of other really, really cool things. But, you know, I know the name, I have huge respect for this guy, but beyond that, it's like, you know, it happens at an office somewhere and there's kind of no sense of, uh, of how it's actually done. And if you wanted to, if you wanted like all the people who wrote letters to, to Sierra, it's like, yeah, you could write a letter. Maybe you'd get a response back. Hopefully you would, but I did once. The person, there you go. Yeah. Uh, would you, would the person actually see it? Would they even be allowed to see it? So just kind of breaking through that was so, was so difficult. And now with, with whether it's Twitter or, you know, just the, the kind of uh, push to, for people to have a presence, it just, it just is such a, a much more, relatable universe and you know what honestly to uh, to kind of to that end um it's uh it can be a lot more damaging uh certainly um the, you know the whole thing with uh you know there have been various points of controversy and they mention it and they they don't shy away from it in double fine whether it was the you know this whole notion of this project made all this money and yeah they split the game that was a huge huge deal and yeah. i remember that i remember that kind of when that news came out Again, not really being attached to the project at all, not having back it or whatever. But, you know, even I knew that that was a huge, like, if, if people were, you know, firmly in the camp of we're going to support this, that it would drive a lot of people away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but just, you know, and then so, so many people just followed on. Like, maybe they, they just said, oh, this person said it was a bad idea. So, you know what? I think that's a bad idea. And it caused this whole kind of, pardon my language, shitstorm um, <laughs> that it really was, was a, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of bad news. And, and did they recover from it? I don't know that really people's opinion of the game itself seems to really be um, kind of forever cast into, I think this about the first part and this about the second. And almost always they are different where someone says, I love the first part, the second one, the set part two or act two, pardon me, was too easy. Or, that's true. I think you know, that's something I, that'll or, fade away with time too, but it's, yeah, it was inescapable back so. then. For, for sure. And one of the things that, that gets covered in kind of later is we, we want this to be broken age. You know, at, at a certain point, you know, we don't want the two to be so, you know, so separate. So, um, and I think like today, I mean, you, you go, you know, buy the game on Steam or whatever, you don't get part one and part two. I don't, I don't think it's just you get the, the the full thing and i believe that's correct I, they actually i think i'm just gonna look it up now because i think okay, they yeah, call it mislead folks but uh oh do they uh, just call it broken age now for a while they called it like the full season or something no they're okay. just calling it broken age now they used to call it i guess for a while they called it like season pass or they called it the whole story something like that not anymore they just but, have it as by broken age or and then the, the additional one is by broken age and the soundtrack yeah mm-hmm and then there's the Double Fine Bundle, which seems to include a bunch of other stuff. Right. Yeah, no, Broken Age is just Broken Age nowadays. So they've kind of, that, that time has passed, I guess, where it was something that was two parts. It was something in development. I guess that's sure. history now. All right. It's a bittersweet um, thing it, almost. It, it's, so from the, the standpoint of just really, it's, it's, a, it's a lovingly raw and honest treatment of the really a, a very intense look at kind of day-to-day development and, you know, and how dependent, you know, like, all right, the writing, you know, well, Tim's doing the writing, Tim Schaefer's doing the writing. There are certain things that obviously they cannot go forward on until certain points are figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, they, they, they tackle everything. So one thing that was really interesting to me was 
the audio folks, you know, they get in and, you know, it's all right. There's a humongous keyboard with a million samples and, you know, the computer and this or that. And it's, again, it's not, um, the actual people like writing code, like they do have some of that and some of that it, it's, it's a, it's a healthy kind of uh, a mix of stuff where they talk about really process specific stuff, whether it's, you know, um, trying to, you know, get events to work or whatever, but the majority of it is interesting because you're interested in the people that are, that are charged with doing this stuff. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's just, and my hats off to the name of the, the group that did the documentary is two player productions. Yes. Apparently, um, I mean, I just, I would I used to slap that logo on and I would watch, I would watch, they want to do a documentary about pennies. I would watch it. I'm, yep. I'm not going to lie. I mean, <laughs> the, the material is that, that good and that compelling. Um, I'd love to see what someone who was not an, an avid adventure gamer or a gamer at all, or maybe even a, you know, I, I just, I feel like this kind of transcends that where, um, you know, this, the story is interesting enough where, you know, maybe that would seeing this would cause you to think, Oh yeah, you know what? I'd love to try an adventure game or I'd love to find out more about it. I just, I, I, I cannot stress enough how really well done this is and how interesting it is. Oh, so you um, brought up a good point here actually, because as much as I do love this documentary, uh, number one, I don't know whether it would be as accessible for someone who's not into games. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, I don't know if the documentary really convinces people to play the game. It's such a separate thing from the game. It is. Somehow. I, mm -hmm. I agree. I, I agree with that. I can't no, really put my finger on that exactly. But. I think I can. Having oh, not please. played the game and seen the documentary. Please. It seems like, although they do a bit of their own back padding, a lot of it's this, just a bunch of whining about how nothing's going right now. I'm through all this dumb. It's just, <laughs> it's just so off-putting that they're just negative about the whole experience of compiling a game that they that they kickstarted, and then they the way they talked about it, they were rushing at the end. It almost came across as negative, and you don't really want to play. It seems that they didn't put their heart into it at the end. Or the, the team didn't. Yeah. Oh, is that what you got out of it? You you only watched it kind of uh, a little bit. I know, but I mean, I watch when I watched like segments. Like I uh, remember mm -hmm. this one segment where they're talking about trying to uh, rush the second part. It just felt like less of the heart went into that part because they're like, we have to get this out. Hmm. I think and you might. So then, I don't want to negate your your feelings on it. I just think you might have seen some of it out of context. I kind of got the opposite feeling out of it personally, but uh, I'm, you're entitled I'm to your opinion. Initially, it seemed like they did have their heart in it, but with the second part, it got the feeling that they were trying to rush it, and that their heart wasn't completely in it. Hmm. And at times, they came, they do come across as neg they did come across as negative. So someone watching it may have, without having seen the game or played the game, may uh, may have found it off-putting. It's possible. It's possible, sure. But having you watched you play the game and taking the documentary into consideration with it, I can see how they were. I can see how it would change the tone of it. But separately, yeah, the document does have a different. Would have a different impact. Mm -hmm. But if you consider it with the game, then yes, I would see your point of view on this. That's fair enough. That's not necessarily what I meant by my comment, but that doesn't invalidate your your take on it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it would. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, uh, crap. My, my hard drive just crashed. <laughs> oh, no. You said, would you, no, I think she means figuratively. <laughs> you oh, lost your train of thought? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> my Fair brain enough. blue screen. <laughs> there you go. Well, now you have a QR code for it. <laughs> I, I suppose there's there's an aspect of it, too, where uh, the the kind of 
the 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 small business story or the the kind of story of the person who is with a, a very successful studio and has lots of, and is kind of trying to, you know, to, to like the next chapter in this person's life. Like they go out, strike out on their own. I think there's a, there's a very kind of every man aspect of and maybe everyone feels this at some point where they're, yeah, especially if you work for a, you know, kind of a large company and, and that company goes through some changes and boy, this was a great company, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, but look what it's turned into now. It's really a lot of what my friend went through working at Microsoft where, you know, he stepped away. Windows Vista was like six months out, and he could just kind of see that the, the company was kind of it had. You know, Bill Gates had stepped away, and um, and it was kind of uh, you know not really taking a, a large role in things anymore. And it was just a you know a different company that the kind of hip place to be at one point was Microsoft. Sure, um, I, it sounds and people are kind of like, oh yeah, that's not true. But no, that really was true. I mean, you know, the the amount of excitement that Windows ninety five and even kind of the post Windows 3.1, like, you know, Windows multimedia and all that, that was a big, a big thing, something that I, I'm kind of, you know, proud that I, I got to kind of witness where I could understand a little bit of what was going on. But uh, so in this case of, of Tim Schafer striking out on his own to go find Alpine, and I guess I didn't realize that Psychonauts, that was a long time ago. So they had, yeah. you know, they had, I want to say they, they started around 2005 and, and really, you know, kind of just grinded away doing, you know, various kind of different things and kind of following the same kind of narrative. If you actually compare it to uh, kind of the early days of Sierra where they did, they did some contract work. Like they did, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the stuff for Disney, you know, they did three or four Disney games, you know, double Fine at some yeah. point had to do, you know, did some of those projects as well, where, you know, it might not, it might not be the adventure game that everybody wanted to work on or the kind of top tier project, but it was kind of a necessary kind of undertaking where, we got to do this to, to pay the bills and that's going to allow us to then kind of do this. So it's, it's a definitely a, a long timeline for, for the folks there, but um, it kind of echoes, uh, it kind of echoes your comments in the, the very beginning of the podcast uh, or was this uh, before the podcast where you just mentioned that you've been at this uh, other airline for a year now and uh, kind of got past your probation and now you yeah, can kind of let, right. let those, you've, you're kind of done paying your dues. I mean, yeah, yeah figuratively. For sure. So you can, can kind of settle in and, uh, and, you know, hopefully this is the place that I'm at until I retire. And you don't have kind to necessarily of. walk on eggshells anymore because doing the slightly right. wrongest thing will get you fired. Whereas now you have a bit mm. of a cushion. So you make, you, you call, you accidentally call uh, someone at third base. At least you won't get fired unless you're on probation, in which case, Something you know, breathing noticed. in the direction that, the wrong way gets you fired. That's, that's absolutely right. It does, <laughs> it does allow for a, yeah, a little bit more uh, freedom of expression, let's it say. It does. But, uh, that's, and, that's true. It does, but uh, relating it to both of these documentaries, and maybe this can be a, the uh, note that we uh, sign off on. Sure, um, sure. I guess once you've paid your dues and you've uh, you have the freedom to have like a self-funded, self-published indie project, it really it really means that you have to fire on all cylinders every single time, especially if you've got a if you're responsible for a team of like dozens of employees. Yep. If you if something gets screwed up, if someone doesn't give their all and sabotages the team, that's a yep. lot of mouths that uh, that uh, won't have food. So yeah, that is, that and, is it's, so, and it's hundreds yeah. of uh, backers that you've just let down. Who oh sure, tens put of their thousands. Confidence into you. Yep, it's very true. <laughs> Because they yeah, don't I, associate the project with the team that you have on the back end. They associate it with the face that they're seeing in public. Yeah, that's right. So it, it doesn't matter that you have 100 uh, people coding. The, to them, it's one continuous 
conglomerate glob. That's of, true. It's uh, the company. It's the name. Yeah. Or it's the. the or it's Tim Schaefer. Exactly. Right. Mostly him. Who, who's definitely been a little bit of a lightning rod for you know for good and for maybe not so good, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you know quite unfairly for a lot of the things that uh, he's been kind of drawn into. Yeah. But on the other hand. And, and you're absolutely right. And I would love to come back and, and talk about this at a, another time. I know we're going way over time here, hmm. but, um, but that, that, you know, yeah, if you have a, a game or something at, at Lucas or somewhere that doesn't do well, you go, all right, you know what, we've got 15 other games out there. We've got, you know, sales of older games and all these, and I, gosh, I mean, LucasArts and LucasFilm is a, is a, yeah. a, a little bit of a unicorn. A you've got, not only do you have other games, you've got, you know, a, a whole bunch of different divisions, you know, that are, are this huge kind of uh, piece where, you know, operating in that environment is probably one of the things that, that really kind of gave the, the folks that founded Double Fine the confidence to go out and say, yeah, we can, we can do this. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you said it, I, it, the stakes are so much higher and that really plays through, comes through very, very well in the documentary. That's one of the kind of the most compelling uh, kind of parts of it. Even, even kind of knowing the outcome, like, you know, this was, having seen it, you know, several years after the fact, I know that Broken Age came out. I know that, you know, a lot of people liked it, or at least the first part. And, you know, so I was aware, like, and the studio is still there. Like, people are still employed. They're still working. Yeah. It's kind of, but it didn't, it didn't lessen the, um, what's, well, I don't want to say this, uh, it, it was still kind of edge of your seat watching. Like, even though the, the outcome really in reality, we know, yeah, the, the, the project came out, they didn't fold up shop The you know, luckily they're, they're still in San Francisco. They're still cranking away. Um, a lot of those same faces are there, but, uh, but there are moments in, in various episodes where, I mean, just for, you know, for a little while, you're like, man, are this, is this it? I mean, it, like, is that going to be the end or the credits going to roll? It's like mm-hmm. no more double fine. I mean, so it's, it's just, you really, you, you feel kind of the feelings that are, that, the, that they're they're going through and it, it plays very very well and that's a credit to everyone involved so it so much is and and that's what gives me the most like like pride and and uh and just warm feelings for tim schaefer in particular just because he's been doing this for 20 plus years now so all of these mm-hmm. close calls and like near misses and there are some projects that never did get made and projects that were commissioned that got canceled and that meant that they had to let a bunch of people go Mm-hmm. He's he's found the recipe for success somehow. He's kind of squeaked along and made it past all of those hurdles, and here he is today, still doing what he loves and doing it so well. It, indeed, indeed. So, so I, watching uh, the man work is just yeah. incredible. It's a great lesson of like project management and people management and how to phrase things and what kind of an attitude will get you somewhere in life. It's just phenomenal. It, it's a I think a perfect blend of the creative process and the technical process and how they work together. That is um, just, just so masterfully done um, in a a way that's just, uh, just very enjoyable to watch to the point where I sought out, like just, you know, all right, what else has two player productions done? Like I I went and I watched all the amnesia Fortnite stuff. I'm like, well, this is the same people. This is this really cool thing where kind of like a game jam where, you know, even though they're, they're up to their, you know, arms and, you know, running into, you know, how we have to reanimate stuff and paintings are coming in or have to redo them. All right, let's take two weeks off and let's just, you know, break everybody up into teams. That's just super, super interesting. So Mm -hmm. yeah, after, after watching 
the Double Fine Adventure, I went and like watched the entire, almost the entire playlist of whatever is available, and it was just like I cannot get enough of this content. So I still need absolutely. to do that. Absolutely, awesome. Yes. All right. Well, I think this is probably a good note to uh, to sign off on a, mo a note of great optimism and and uh, uh, respect for the people who do what we love. Yep. Yes, indeed. That's right. Well, Chris, our um, podcast is your podcast. We appreciate you so much for coming. Oh, my gosh. It is an honor to be back. I'm very sorry I pushed you over the hour and a half mark, but uh, awesome. the passion for which I, I saw this after I finished the last episode, I'm like, I have to talk about this with somebody. And I'm really glad, actually, that you hadn't seen it because there was this sense that especially the backers that saw this, this was kind of old news, but mm -hmm. this, this kind of release of it to the public, it did kind of cause a little bit of a groundswell of popularity where it was starting. I would kind of see it mentioned or and whatnot, but uh, I just thought I have to kind of share my thoughts in, in some sort of forum. Uh, I was just like inspired to do that. So oh, well, thanks so for thank letting you. Yeah, thank, thank you for letting much. the fire under me then for watching it when I did because it was great I'm to talk glad, about. I'm, it. I'm really glad you liked it. I'm like, geez, you know, I've talked this up so much. I'm like, I really, <laughs> hope, I really hope you know you can make it through the you know that it does you know watch a few and be like ah you know kind of not really my thing. Oh, so yeah. that's also um, quite rewarding mm -hmm. as well. So I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Pardon oh, me. Just loved it. I'm sorry. Did we interrupt you? It was a while ago. Are you going to say something? Is that gone now? Uh, yes. <laughs> sorry, baby. Sorry. That's oh, okay. Yes. We're talkers. <laughs> yes, you guys are. But at least you're actually talking on topic, and we didn't have a 17-minute uh, voicemail. <laughs> well, so, so speaking of trolls, I just wanted to remind everybody that uh, we haven't heard from anyone yet, but uh, last week and this week I'll put in the show notes too, trolls uh, gave us the last of his 12-episode uh, uh, weirdo teaser puzzle game things. I'm going to post the link again. To, what's that about? I haven't figured that out yet. What's we, supposed to even be about? We didn't hear them all because I usually edit them in uh, after we oh, record. Yeah. So we'll and, uh, we'll check those out in play as well. But there's a prize for anyone who figures it out. F figures it out. There is some some kind of big mystery behind it. So we'll figure it out. I want that prize. <laughs> yes. yes. Where's the mystery? Tools is actually several midgets. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In a trench coat. I think he's tall enough to be like three or four midgets tall. Midgets is a is a one of the uh, imperial units of measure, isn't it? Sure, if you're British. <laughs> They like to pretend they're metric, but, they're, but they also use imperial. Oh, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this podcast is about four minutes longer than it was supposed to be, so why don't yes, we sign off is. here? Uh, sure. Do you want to sign off, or do you want me to? I'll do it this time, I guess. Okay. So, of course, we very greatly thank uh, Chris Olson for joining us once again. And giggity. Giggity. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's not that kind of guy. He's just he's a pilot. And just, hey. I don't know. He's the official pilot of Square Waves Air. Hey, I, I appreciate that. I, uh, I'm still trying to find a way to form the airline by which you have bump heads and computers with DOS games to convince Ben Chandler to get on a plane and come to GDC. But, uh, yeah, I'm still still working on that. Oh, yeah. someday so, I hope. Maybe we can get him to fly on a budgie. <laughs> get him, you know, you he'll lift his arms yeah, and make right. a million budgies will lift him across the sea. <laughs> he'll, he'll lasso, like, 45 or so of those glorious Australian parrots and he'll be here in, like, 20 minutes. Nice. <laughs> We'd like to... Chirping along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks. And we also, of course, thank Father Beast and uh, for his letter and Robert Menes and uh, Amir at Akago for their tweets. Thanks, guys. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. We love you like crazy. Always a pleasure. If you want to uh, tell us about your favorite game documentaries or if you have any other uh, comments uh, about Cheech that Father Beast brought up, you can reach us on the web, squarefm.demodulated.com. On, by email, squarefm at demodulated.com. We love your letters and voicemails. And on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. 
So with that, we thank you all very, very much for joining us, and we will talk to you again this time next week. Bye-bye. sometime. Or something. <laughs> Bye. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Beep. 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 Beep.